Hello, Whatnots. Hopefully none of you are fearing change today because things are slightly different from the traditional Baxter building. The thing that's different is not only the fact that you're not getting a hold open with Jeff and I just shooting the shits before it crashes into the normal theme music that we use, but that we're also using different theme music. This theme music this time is presented to us by Aaron Redfield, who emailed and sent this to us. I think it's kind of great. So just for once... Unless all of you love it and prefer it to the normal theme music, you can leave comments and tell us if that's the case. Uh, here is an alternate theme for Baxter Building, once again from Aaron Redfield. Welcome to the Baxter Building. It's episode nine. It's myself, Graham McMillan, and his self, Jeff Lester. Hey, right! I hit my mark. Yay! Oh, it only takes episodes to do it. I am proud of you, Jeff. Thank you, Graham. You'll be happy to know that I screwed up the reading order of what we'll be discussing today. <laughs> Don't worry. So did I. That's that. However, was a great segue. Jeff, do you know what we're going to be reading this episode? We're going to be reading issues 74 to 81, and it turns out, annual number six of the Fantastic Four by Stanley and Jack Kirby. The reason I laugh, and the reason Jeff said he screwed up the reading order is, neither of us actually realised that annual six falls right in the middle of the issues that we're reading. Yes. Yes. Well, somewhat toward the end, but yes, basically the same concept, the final third, Right between issue 79 and issue 80 comes Fantastic Four Annual number 6. And I have yep. to tell you... What's that? It's, it's between 80 and 81. Not according to what it says here, man. Well, according to the reading order, because in issue 80, Sue Storm is still pregnant. In issue 81, she's had a kid. Uh, I don't... Is that true? That is true. <laughs> mm, hold on. Uh... Oh, you're right. That is totally true. It's going to be at least a week before the baby arrives. You, Graham, you were right. Marvel uh, Unlimited's uh, publication it's... schedule is apparently wrong. Or oh, No, I'm not sure it is as much as I think the issues might have been published out of order. Yeah, which also makes sense. But yes. Uh, but yeah, I, I was remiss in informing both Jeff and you listeners that apparently Annual 6 happens between issues 80 and 81. Yeah. Uh, which I didn't even know until a day ago. Yes. Because, and, and we'll get to this at the time, Yes, there's nothing actually in the issues to tell you that. Not a single footnote, editor's note, nothing. Not a which thing. genuinely surprising, right? Yeah, it is. It is. Although, I think in our defense, by which I really mean my defense, because Graham did end up reading the annual and I caught on too late, like literally, like, 10 minutes before we started recording, I figured it out on my own, uh, is issues 74 through 81 are a very scattered group of issues. You know what I mean? Oh, it's scattered in so many ways. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, they are, 
I want to say issue 70, is it 76? Yeah, issue 76 is maybe the most fond in issue by every single member of the creative team. Uh, yeah. To the point where there's a plot development which actually doesn't happen on the page. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot. 76 and 77, I have to say, are baffling. Also, if we needed a title for this episode... It should either be Sympathy for the Devil or What the Butler Saw. But that's just because I like call anything. We should always have a What the Butler Saw episode of everything. Wait, as far no, as explain Sympathy for the Devil, my friend. Well, because on the one hand, I think there are some... Everyone's well aware that, you know... It's I, a Stanley reference, isn't Yes, it, it is. Yeah. Because I'm hyper-fixated on how Stan takes... Uh, storytelling cues from Jack Kirby ignores them uh, sometimes to the book's detriment. And there are scenes in these issues that make absolutely no sense on the page as written that on the one hand uh, would make a lot more sense if there is like, I suspect the way that Kirby had planned them that Lee did not execute them. But there are also sequences where Stan is writing gobbledygook and it is completely unclear what the hell Jack Kirby is trying to do here. So yes. well, the, the, the opening story arc, which manages to juggle a couple of villains mm -hmm. um, has a very abrupt change. Oh yeah. Which makes no sense. Yeah. Uh, either in what Stan, say, Stan has the character saying, or for that matter, in what Jack has the characters doing. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so yeah, it's it's a very, it's a wacky, wacky collection of issues. And I have to say, Jeff, I'm just to rub it in that you missed Annual Six. God damn it! Uh, that is by far the best of uh, of the issues. Uh, in that, it's the only one that really reads particularly coherently or excitingly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. Let, let, let's let's dive in, shall, shall we? we? Let's, yes. Let's get into this wacky world of the Fantastic Four with issue 74. Uh, the fabulous FF learn that humanity faces Armageddon when calls Galactus. <laughs> yes. And for those of you who, like Jeff and I, are reading not the Marvel Unlimited versions, but the versions that come with the Fantastic Four CD-ROM, I would like to draw your attention to the ad on the inside cover. Jeff, are you looking at the PDF right now, or are you looking at Marvel Unlimited? Uh, this is the great. This is I'm like this is everything great uh, that could happen to me, Graham. The issue that uh, that I didn't read that you're saying is the best of the lot, and of course, pointing out this is the first time that I read exclusively <laughs> on Marvel Unlimited and completely, comple completely. <laughs> even though I had the issues all set up in Goodreader, I didn't read them. I just downloaded all the but, stuff. Let me explain the advert I'm talking with, Jeff, and then you will want to go and look at this. I'm I looking at it now. probably have <gasps> to take a screenshot of this for the, the site. Oh, my God. Gigantic art mural offer, exclamation point. Magnificent original oil painting reproduced in full color as giant decorator mural. And do you know what it is? It's a painting called White Stallion in the Moonlight that looks exactly like you'd want a painting called White Stallion in the Moonlight to look like. I, I have to say, it is amazing and it's great because it says white stallion in the moonlight in all caps and then there's a dash and an initial cap is lumen winter which 
one would you would almost think that that was someone's name if it wasn't for the fact that Lumen Winter is clearly nobody's name. No one has ever been named that. No one ever will. Maybe it's the acrylic I, I, they I'm were sorry. being painted in. If you look at the painting, Jeff. Yes. As you clearly are doing. Yes. If you look at the bottom right-hand corner of the painting, you'll see the signature of Mr. Lumen Winter. How can you see that on the that, that barely that barely shows up on my PDF. That You're just not looking seriously. I see something that vaguely looks like Lumen Winter. I we see, my you points... order your giant mural now while supply lasts, the advert says. This superb full-color print, it'd be great if the, if the advert was in full-color. But no, you only get to black and white, because that way you're more likely to buy it. It's sweeping 40 inches by 24 inches. Wow. It's intended to you for just $3, though. Yeah, it's true. Interestingly enough, they apparently misspelled Lumen's name. So, really? yeah, it's Lumen, L-U-M-E-N, Lumen Martin Winter, America's <laughs> most renowned muralist. Oh, uh, yeah. Wow. Yep. Yeah. yeah that's, look, if you're paying $3 a painting, mm -hmm. you're not paying for quality. That's all I'm saying. His work, described by a Paris art critic in the Paris Modern, quote, is not abstract, nor is it realistic, but he has created synthesis, which is all his own. Yes. <laughs> That is the greatest backhanded compliment, isn't it? Isn't it? It really is fabulous. A synthesis I call terrible. So yeah, that is yeah. White stallion in the moonlight. I'm gonna have to. I'm thinking that I'm hitting eBay later to see if we can get this for Graham because that has got to. That should hang in All Shay I'm McMillan. Is my birthday is coming up. That's true. That is true. Graham McMillan, thank God, you. It would be horrible if someone actually got this. Oh, you're getting it. I'm like, God, can I get this before I head up there to Portland? Because, no, no, yeah. That, that would be the worst. Yeah, thing. it totally uh, would be. And anyway, I'm going to do it. When Calls Galactus, yes. ladies and gentlemen, is, as you might expect, a Galactus story. The first Galactus story in Fantastic Four, Jeff, and I think you and I can agree, was, was a classic. Yes, right? absolutely. So you'd think when you bring him back, you're going to be bringing your A-game. Yes, Spoilers, everyone. <laughs> They're not. The issue opens with um, Ben Grimm, not for the first time, walking in on Alicia and the Silver Surfer. Mm -hmm. Who were hanging out. Silver Surfer by now officially is shorts, by the way. Yes. It's very clear in that, that uh, splash page. Uh, only for Ben to do his traditional, oh, I don't know, you're hanging out with the Silver Adonis. What do you see in me? I'm a mug. And Silver Surfer to be like, I will shout at you! Yes, although That's to be fair, this is one of those great bits of, um, I, I think, of absolutely wonderful Kirby uh, character characterization, character acting. Because yeah. Ben Grimm shows up with a box of candy for Alicia, Opens the door, sees the Silver Surfer in the chair. Alicia, and this is an interesting thing that we'll come back to later, is Kirby always shows women putting their hands all over the Silver Surfer. He, they are always handsy. No, to be fair, Alicia does that to everyone. That's but th exactly, exactly. Which is why later when Sue Storm starts and, and starts putting her hands all over him, that's when you start going, what's going on with the Silver Surfer? The Silver Surfer has some sort of cosmic pheromones that make women a little handsy. Anyway, Ben walks in with the candy, sees it, and on the next page basically goes, Welp, 
opens up the candy box, starts eating the chocolates for himself, and actually offers them to the Silver Surfer before the Silver Surfer gets super shouty and breaks out his super new special powers, which is the, if you look into my eyes, they're kind of like a TV set, which will show you cosmic blobs flying through space. Check me out, world. So, it, it is an interesting new power of the Silver Surfer. Mm-hmm. But Stanley kind of makes it work. I love the gaze into my eyes, deeper, deeper, now, now you shall see the menace which approaches even as we speak. Yeah. Like, I, I say what you like about Stan Lee, and Jeff, you will. But <laughs> Lee's Silver Surfer is great. You know, it is one of the things that is really interesting to me is, is that um, Lee goes, takes the Silver Surfer with, you know, Gives him his own magazine, which Lee writes and John Basima draws. And those books, despite some beautifully compelling John Basima art that actually, you know, was crazily, crazily popular in places like Italy, Italy of all places, um, is basically, it's basically a wet dud. But I think that Lee. Lee Silver Surfer, when it's drawn by Kirby, I absolutely agree. And in fact... Well, it, what it really is, is it's Lee Silver Surfer what Kirby's plotting. Yes. Yeah, because what happens is the characters are active. It's not just, I'm going to piss and moan, fly around on my surfboard until somebody bombs me, which is basically every issue of the Silver Surfer to follow. Um, but like in stuff like this, the Silver Surfer gets is pissy. He is pissy in these issues in a way that um he's actually kind of terrible in these issues isn't he? well this no, but is... he really really is again character motivation in the, this story is an interesting moving target yes it really is because interestingly enough and this is one of the things i i really dig about these issues of the fantastic four um the the tug of war between lee and kirby kirby is really does have his characters act um in very selfish ways, particularly in this arc. And yet, the way that Lee goes about trying to spin it as if it they're not is really kind of weird. It doesn't work, but it, it makes for some very interesting reading. But um, I, I do like the I do like the pissy Silver Surfer. And frankly, again, Ben turning around and eating the chocolates immediately. Although it's funny. Um, Ben really is, he's a dick. I mean, Ben is (laughs) kind of a bully and he is, he is a terrible boyfriend. We will get back to this on some of the later, uh, uh, Ben Grimm centered, uh, stories that, that come right toward the end of the issues that we're discussing, but he really is kind of, um, uh, 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 on his own, kind of a terrible, terrible person. But a lot of the people are in the in this run, despite Lee's attempt to sort of um, smother over it. I mean, Galactus basically to to jump ahead a little bit, um, you know, and then we can move back as, as you want, Graham. Uh, Galactus has promised that he will never eat Earth again uh, in the in the storyline. So what's his amazing story? What's his amazing motivation that actually brings him back into this storyline? Well, he's hungry again, and he hasn't found any planets to eat. So he comes back to get Silver Surfer to go out and essentially get him a cosmic pizza, despite basically treating Silver Surfer completely abominably. And I think the Surfer himself has a, has pretty good reasons for being like, 
I am going to go and hide myself from Galactus, which again is a little bit of a boggled story point in this. Um, you know, because because let's face it, it's a comic book about hitting things, and Kirby has brought back the galactic cosmic battle frog uh, known as the Punisher. <laughs> well, I, that was a, a wonderful knot of a sentence that you brought right back to where we're talking about. When Silver Surfer says, look into my eyes, he reveals that the Punisher is coming back. Not Frank Castle. Yes. But the original Marvel Universe Punisher, mm -hmm. uh, who is, as Jeff said, a giant battle frog. Yeah. Cosmic a cosmically battle powered battle frog. Yeah, he really is. And it, again, to me, this is the, the return of the Punisher is one of those big warning flags that that goes up to me we are going to see some pretty amazing art here from kirby uh in in these run of issues almost more or less despite himself i really get the feeling that <laughs> well, when you bring back the punisher mm -hmm. you're you know it's not because you guys demanded it yes it's because we really couldn't be bothered thinking about anything else yeah and to be fair that's what this four-part story is. Yes. This four-part story is very much, you know, we have some we have some issues to fill. Mm -hmm. What worked well last time, sure, we'll just do that again. Right. Yeah. Uh, so shall we just do like a really brief overview of the plot and then we can pick things apart as needs be? Yeah, I think so. I think so. So Galactus sends the Destroyer to Earth mm -hmm. uh, in an attempt to find and retrieve the Silver Surfer. Yeah. The Silver Surfer, knowing this is about to happen gets the Fantastic Four on his side, or rather, the Thing and Human Torch. Yeah. Because Reed and Sue are currently off with Reed being the worst husband in comicdom. Absolutely. Sue, is, mm -hmm. Sue is, is going to have a baby, spoilers. Um, and Reed is, is appalling. Yeah. Uh, Reed just outright lies to her. Yes. And is like, I'm just going to, out to buy some cigarettes, honey. Yes, yeah, there is, there is a sequence which is uh, page 10 where essentially Crystal looking out the window while Reed and Sue's back is turned and Reed is comforting uh, Sue. Um, it's like, we must take no chances till after the baby arrives. And then Sue, who's a little worried, like, if you're this cautious now, how will you be after you become a father? Reed isn't really even listening at that point yes, because Reed is stopping attention because yeah. there is like a, a charades mm -hmm, mm -hmm. thing happening behind Crystal being like, look out the window. Yeah. The best part about this is, and I know this is part of comics in general, suspension of disbelief. Yes. But Reed then le leans out the window and says out loud, it's a torch battling for his life against. I can't be sure, but if it's who I think, we've got to get Sue away fast. Yes. And who apparently doesn't only hear the words Johnny. Yeah. Yeah. If that, because she actually just turns around and reads like, darling, you've been on your feet too long. Sit down now while Chris checks the timetables. And then Crystal's like, you'll be more comfortable away from the window where it's left strafty. So they put well, Sue the on the couch. Johnny is the Johnny oh no in the previous panel. is Crystal, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Sue hears none of that then. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. She hears and then none of it. Says, I just remembered. I have to check out some things at the Baxter building. Yeah. And leaves. Yeah. Yeah. He's and like he's, he's not just leaving like to duck out the window. He fucking goes to the microverse in this storyline. <laughs> yeah. She it, comes back to the Baxter building and goes to the the microverse without checking in on Sue. No. Reed is 
worst husbands. Now let me t- let me ask you because I'm very curious, and this is perhaps uh, I don't know if I was ever able to make a solid conclusion, but do you think looking at the the body language in the panels that Sue that that they are deliberately hiding this from Sue uh, in yes. Kirby's conception, or yes. is this like Lee as well? No, I think they're deliberately hiding it from in Kirby's conception. As well. Yeah, I think so. I think so as well. Uh, unfortunately, like the language isn't quite that, con- but it's clear they're not showing her in things. So yeah, which is pretty terrible. The next page I think does have a certain amount of the Johnny is fighting the the Punisher, and as far as I'm concerned. Kirby's storytelling has the Punisher begin to radiate a bunch of cosmic energy um, and then plunges himself into the harbor, nearby harbor, thus using the cosmic energy to shoot the water up onto Johnny, extinguishes his um, flame and throw him into the harbor where the Punisher can then attack him. But according to Stan Lee, what's actually happening is the torch tries to slow down the Punisher by electrocuting every rooftop lightning rod in his path. I guess and you can do that with fire. Didn't you know that? I know, right? And it's like, and it, complete with, it's working. The current is forcing him back. But he managed to save himself by plunging into the river. Oh, no. So, the, again, there's a little bit of Lee is make, is always is always on the eye to making his characters be as active, as dramatic, and as heroic as possible. But he is clearly cutting against what Kirby's doing and it leads to again a sentence like that which just doesn't make any sense whatsoever which is a lot of this issue it has to be said yeah the the fight in this issue is very frenetic Mm -hmm. but very nonsensical yes because you continually have Lee trying to make the heroes more heroic and more in control of the situation than they appear to be in the artwork yes yeah absolutely in, in, in so, the... for example, you have the thing on page 17 mm-hmm. is punching the destroyer. Yes. And it, the artwork pretty much looks like the thing is getting his ass handed to him and maybe gets in a few good blows. Yeah. But the dialogue is pretty much like, look at me, I'm winning. What's that? <laughs> oh, he's got a force field. Right. Which is, is very much at odds with what's on the page visually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, completely, completely. Um it, it and so yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of that. Like when you read it, there's a lot of tremendous dissonance. I will say though, since we skipped over, is while they're battling things, while they're battling the Punisher, um, there is a uh, interval of two pages where Galactus drives up in is out in space in an awesome spacecraft that I will be honest does not look especially awesome. But it does lead to... Well, that first panel looks great. Uh, you think? I'm kind of yeah, like... Yeah, I, I like it. Like, after that kind of page. But it's... For me, it pays off for the uh, page 15, the next page. Exactly. Which is, like, the best Galactus. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's one of those deals of, like, hands down, that is just an astonishing image. That is... we. You know, you sort of mentioned that that, you know the creative team is not on their game in later issues. And here it just is like an engine that never quite, you know, but there's a few moments that are just glorious. And this full page splash of Galactus is absolutely one of them. It's Kirby being amazing. It's in it. 
doing an astonishing job giving the work like an extra level of sort of shading and depth. And, and I'll be frank, um, again, Stan Lee is, is actually really, there's a lot of stuff. This isn't my favorite bit of dialogue that he does here, but some of the exalted dialogue that he has throughout the Galactus storyline is, is, is pretty, pretty good stuff. It's, it can be, it can deliver an extra level of awe. I suppose. The beckoning specter of grim starvation may cause so ephemeral a covenant to soon be shattered. Yeah. I mean, I say that every morning when I'm making breakfast. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, it, it's, it, it's one of those, the beckoning specter of grim starvation may cause so ephemeral a covenant to soon be shattered. It's, it's, it's got, it's got a, it's got a bit of a meter to it. You know, it is not just, I mean, it's a lot of highfalutin words and there's a lot of like reversals to make things sound more dramatic than they actually are. But, but got... it's, it's far better than what Galactus says on the last page of this issue, this issue uh, yeah. where he says that he, he dare not come, he come no closer to the verdant planet earth, lest the aroma of its living energy yeah. be more than even Galactus may resist. Yes. I love the idea that Galactus would get cl- too close to earth and be like, Oh, humans. Oh, it smells oh. like cookies. Exactly. I, See cookies. I was thinking bacon. Fresh baked cookies. Well, there you go, Graham. I guess uh, they get bacon. Yeah. To to finish the summary of the plot, basically that's it. The destroyer gets called back yeah. by Galactus for no immediately apparent reason. Yep. Uh, because while the battle may have started with the Silver Surfer being there, he is pretty much gone from halfway through the issue and it's never explained why well there you know it's fascinating again everything is so slapdash when johnny appears on the scene um back on page nine he's like it's the punisher i found him now that the surfer is safely hidden i can plow into him but the thing that's amazing is then later um, after the Punisher's been pulled away and Galactus is like, bring me the surfer, everyone's like, where is the surfer? And, and you Johnny's know, the one who said before he vanished. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it, it the surfer has, you know, so it's very much this idea of like, they really, motivations are changing even halfway through an issue. People know things which, and then by the end happen. of the issue, they don't. Yeah. Which will happen throughout all of these issues. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it, and it's a it's a real problem at this point. The issue ends with Galactus essentially shining a cosmic spotlight on Earth to try and find out where the Silver Surfer is. Yeah. He cannot do so, however, because the Silver Surfer has vanished, as Johnny said. But before he did so, he was talking about worlds within worlds. <laughs> worlds within worlds. <laughs> Jeff, worlds within worlds. You know... This is the thing that is frustrating because I was like, yeah, Lee is on his A game. Worlds within worlds. And then there's worlds within worlds, which is absolutely a boring phrase. Oh, it's a great phrase. You're totally wrong. Ah! The Fantastic (laughs) Issue 75 is called, Can the FF Hold Off Galactus Long Enough to Learn the Secrets of Worlds Within Worlds? (laughs) Graham, do you really think it's a, a great phrase? Worlds within worlds. Okay, I right. do actually do like it. Okay, I'm not, the worlds way you're saying worlds. it really sounds like you're mocking worlds. it heavily. Yeah, okay. Worlds yeah. within worlds, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
the issue starts off with the Fantastic Three, as they are now, because Sue has been permanently put on bed rest, yes. as you'll see in an interlude in this issue. Uh, but she is she's absent as the rest of the team are trying to work out where the Silver Surfer is. Yes. As they're doing so, the Galactus's cosmic spotlight, or as Reed calls it, because remember, Reed's a scientist, a space ray. Yes. Uh, shines down upon the city. And Thing hilariously says, I don't care what anyone says you hear, I ain't scared of a dozen Galactuses. <laughs> there is a story that I totally would have loved to have seen. A dozen Galactuses. Yes. Anyway, Galactus does not find where the Silver Surfer is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, and uh, I do have to say that... Uh, one of the things that, again, Lee sort of really, I mean, again, there's a, there's a panel on page five where Galactus, frustrated that he can't find the surfer, silver surfer, concludes, thus, by the power of transcendent thought, I must strike from across the chasm of a billion light years. On the one hand, I absolutely adore this because it sounds awesome. On the other hand, if he's shooting a ray, which is just a beam of light, from a billion light years away, how long will it take to get to the Earth? Stan Lee's convinced instantaneously. Most of us would be like, so basically a billion, a billion years, years from now <laughs> is when the light beam will show up, right? You know, or I when Galactus sees it. Yeah, yeah. So Did you think about that, Jeff? Did you, did did you think we, about that? Wait, which part did I think of? Maybe Galactus is, exists a billion years in the past. Well, that could be. That could be. That that's. Let's not go there, Graham. Let's not go into the realm of hard sciences. But uh, here's here's a problem. Yes. So on page three, Galactus says, "My herald, who was, has found a most effective place of concealment." Yes. The problem with this is, the surfer, even though worlds within worlds, is still on Earth. Yes. So why couldn't the beam find him? Well, because he well because in theory I don't know it depends on how hard you want to work the sciences. But I would say the idea being that he is so small by shrinking and going into the worlds within worlds, worlds that, within worlds that he cannot actually be found. Galactus actually does say that he will have to level the consonant atom by atom until he finds him. Exactly. So there is kind of yeah uh, grammar clade there. Yeah, exactly. But but even more, there's a little bit of the concept that, weirdly enough, I, I feel got explained in a, uh, a handbook of the Marvel Universe when talking about the idea of the microverse, which is the idea that the microverse is not really a microverse, but that in the concept of shrinking, a dimensional portal kind of opens up and you end up being transported to this universe where you're not actually necessarily atomically sized. That being said, Kirby and Lee really would beg to defer because we're going to see some absolutely awesome imagery that involves the fan, the FF flying around through molecules. That looks pretty great. Let's face it. Not quite as great as Galactus still not really kind of wearing pants on page four. <laughs> Isn't it great? Every time you see Galactus and he's just wearing like his toga thing. Yeah. I'm always surprised. Yep, I'm too. always like, oh, that's right. He's not wearing pants yet. Yeah, he's, it's, it literally is. I mean, it, let's face it. It would be such a great characterization of Galactus that Galactus, who is this amazingly cosmically aware being, 
A, is so bad at finding food that he has to have someone else do it for him. And B, like, he's basically... He's he can't ba- find his pants in the He water. can't find his pants. He doesn't even aware that he doesn't have them. Galactus, he doesn't even aware that he's wearing that fucking hat. You know what I mean? He does not know. He is completely... He's just this side of senile, but he's completely omnipotent. No one's willing to register it. But yeah, when you see that angle, particularly kind of low, and you're like, whoa, whoa, Galactus's thighs. I don't want to see them, especially because it looks like he might have edema on that uh, left leg. Uh, <laughs> or he has three knees or whatever's happening there. It's, it's one of those points where you're like... Anatomy, God bless him, was never Kirby's strong point. It wasn't. There's how, how does a leg work, Jack Kirby? Because you know, it's not Galactus's leg. Seriously. We give Rob Liefeld like a ton of shit for not knowing feet. But the fact of the matter is Kirby is baffled by the human leg like nobody's business. If you take time to look at it, it's always around the leg where things really kind of start to fall apart. Which is super funny because he's actually really good at arms. He does, yeah. His arms are great. The weird thing is, is he can actually be pretty good at feet. It's just the legs in between that completely fuck him up. Like, he's like... Eyes mm. and knees were yeah. always Kirby's weakness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Wait, did you say eyes, too? Thighs. Uh, oh, thighs. Yeah. Rated eyes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, good lord, Graham. There, there is like an amazing concept. Oh, now, we're sticking to the leg. Um, listeners, what we should mention is that uh, Graham has sort of misrepresented things a little bit, which is fine because, let's face it, neither Stan nor Jack can really agree on what's happening on any given page in the issue. But the FF have gone out to an abandoned island to after being unable to find the Silver Surfer, uh, in part because they know that Galactus is going to come and try and fuck up their shit, and they don't want other people around where they can be harmed. Not necessarily a bad idea, but here on page six, we can see maybe they could have picked a better spot than an island as Galactus more or less turns the entire fucking thing upside down and proceeds to drown two of the Fantastic Three before deciding, no, fuck it, I'm just going to drag them up into space and uh, suffocate and freeze them all to death. Which is great, because he apparently does so, and then they wake up back on the island. Yeah. So really, Galactus just, like, hypnotized the shit out of them. This is one of those weird things where I think that Kirby is going for something very different, uh, I think, because... Page page nine has them waking up on the island and seeing something. They're back on the island and out of the water emerges the Fantastic Three. Them. It's us, Reed says, as you see some pretty goddamn creepy versions of the Fantastic Three. And Graham, I'm sure you know what I'm going to say here. Would it be something about meeting your doppelganger, Jeff? It it would have to say... Would that, it be something about being misrepresented? It, I think it has to do with this ongoing anxiety that seems <laughs> to show up in Kirby's stories that you have imperfect duplicates of the characters pop up and try and replace the characters again and again and again. And that idea, the anxiety of essentially being replaced by something inferior uh is a big motivation of kirby like it pops up a lot in kirby's stories you know from this man this monster on and here we see another incarnation of it i think it's fascinating that uh at least superficially there is a um i i feel that kirby might be 
uh, evoking the concept of the clipoth. I, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Are you familiar with them, Graham? From uh, I am not, about them? And, and I'm hoping that you are going to explain to me. Yeah, the the clipoth is is essentially literally Hebrew means like the shell or the peel or the husk, and it is uh, uh, in in Hebrew essentially an evil emptiness. Um, and in some cases, it's presented, I think, in the Kabbalah, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, as essentially an empty, imperfect duplicate that is then possessed by evil. Uh, that there there's a con conception of you know whether or not the body and the soul can be separated is something that frankly I've not studied enough Kabbalah or Jewish mysticism to really understand where they break down on this. But there is the conception that you can have a shell of a person or a thing almost like, you know, that then can be filled with a malevolent spirit. And I, I think that this is entirely apt here um, as a representation of what the fantastic four are fighting. And in some ways I almost feel that this issue makes sense. If you think of it as the idea that Galactus has in fact literally killed the fantastic four um, and possessed their bodies. And what we are watching is a battle of the souls of the Fantastic Four, the spirit of the Fantastic Four, Fantastic Three, rather, fighting against their, um, their empty husks of their bodies, their imperfectly formed uh, duplicates. That um, in the end, they're able to beat them, triumph, and essentially take their, take their possession back in the body. Which, on the one hand, makes no sense, but does, but makes arguably no more, yeah, than what we really have here, which is... What, what is interesting is, I feel that you are, uh, your theory is, I can totally go along with your theory, with the exception of, I don't think Galactus actually kills the Fantastic Four at all. I think all of it was originally intended to essentially be hallucinations. <laughs> That could well be, I guess. I mean, certainly we've seen that in the Psycho Pirates stuff, except they do get sort of dispelled. There isn't really much of a... Um, there's there's no real sign of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Per se. But there's also no real sign... There, there's no real sign of in the art of anything other than what literally happens, as, as Lee portrays it as well. That's true. Because that true. the end of the, the fight mm -hmm. is that they vanquish... The villains. Yes. There's no sight scene of them like waking up or yeah. anything else. No, agreed. And it and it they, doesn't show them possessing the bodies, and the yeah. bodies themselves are shown to be different. You know, like the 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 evil Reed actually looks a lot like the Reed that you might have seen in the first issue of the Fantastic Four in terms of the way his face looks. But there's no insignia on him. The... That's very interesting that you say that, Jeff Lester, because spoiler for far, far future Baxter building. Uh, no less a being than Steve Englehart will bring back these characters. Get out. Really? Oh. And he will bring them back with the express decision that they represent the earlier versions of the FF. Wow. Wow. Well, All I'm saying is, remember this for 300 <laughs> issues from now. <laughs> 
for those paying attention at home, will be something that we will be getting to in approximately like 15 years. Yeah, exactly. So, I don't yeah, know. Egghart does actually bring these characters back. Wow. Uh, as a proto-FF. Well, that's that is interesting. I'm 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 glad I made one of those calls. Anyway, for people who want to look it up on the internet, clip off with a Q. Great stuff to read about. Uh, two P's, I think, as well. Um, yeah. Uh, so, sh- should we talk about the planet planetoid that almost crashes Earth, but you know, crushes Earth, but then disappears when basically the FF go from how are we going to beat Galactus? What can we do? Oh, I know. We will essentially vow to get the Silver Surfer back. Really so the wish it away. Destroyed. It's a very odd issue. Yeah. So the majority of the issue is spent fighting this un-Fantastic Four. The yeah. anti-Fantastic Four. We get an interlude showing where the Surfer has gone. And where the Surfer has gone is he's gone into the Microverse. Yes. Yeah. Uh, which was previously introduced in Fantastic Four Annual Number 5. Mm-hmm. Back when it was called Subatomica. Yes. And it's the home to the Psychoman. That's important for next issue, people. But you don't really see anything of the the surfer beyond him entering there. Yeah. The majority of the issue is the fight with the the other Fantastic Three. Yes, and we get a hilarious cutaway where Sue is lying in bed mm-hmm. and saying, "What, Crystal dear? What's all that noise in the street? What's happening outside?" And Crystal says, "It's nothing, Sue. Just some sort of protest demonstration." Yes. <laughs> Sue Storm is portrayed as an idiot in yeah. these issues. Yeah. And me, Crystal is portrayed as a terrible human being. Well, I, I am fascinated. I do, I do think that if there is even the remotest shred of truth to the idea that pregnant women must be treated so gently that it is actually pre- more preferable to lie to them uh, than tell them the truth about what's going on, all I can say is, I, at first I was like, this is awful. Where are these people getting this? And then I'm like, honestly, Rosemary's Baby, which is an absolutely amazing book and amazing movie for those who haven't seen it, definitely check it out. It That thriller, that whole paranoid thriller, it revolves around exactly the idea of that once you become pregnant, people are allowed to lie, with, lie to you with impunity. Uh, and of course, in Rosemary's Baby, for their own evil uh, or potentially exactly. evil purposes. Yeah. So, um, so maybe there is something to the zeitgeist. But holy shit, people! This really is like if you ever if you wanted to read the incarnation of the Fantastic Four that was the most like Mad Men, get your ass over to these issues because it's amazing. Yeah, Sue Sue Storm, frankly. Uh, any five or six future, maybe I should go off with the Submariner stories are instantly forgiven in my eyes, Sue. Because really, honestly, you're you're surrounded by jerks. Um, stranded in Subatomica. Oh no, I'm sorry. The next issue is Fantastic Four well, number seventy six. You, you've not even you've not talked about the meteor that's heading towards the. the oh, plant, do we have to? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's stuff happening, people. Believe me, go, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Jeff. You were the one who brought it up. Uh, did I bring the planetoid crushing towards yes. Earth? Okay, so there's a planetoid. Basically, they, after beating the Fantastic Three, once again, uh, Reed is convinced that Ben is being defiant wrong. Uh, because apparently the way that Ben is defiant, as opposed to the way they've been defiant for the last 16 pages, is enough to make Galactus hurl a planetoid toward the Earth. Uh, which everyone in all of New York is justifiably losing their shit over, except for Sue Storm, who's 
crying on a pillow and Crystal is blatantly lying to her. Um, and, and then Reed wishes it away. Reed does. Reed actually, I I prefer the term cosmic poops because if you look at, it's, uh, it's true. Yeah. Uh, the the panel four on page nineteen. Yes, really yeah. does look like Reed is having a very 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 bad. Um, yeah, yeah. Evacuation. <laughs> there, there really is. That is a man who needs some metamucil. And uh, but nonetheless, through the power of his cosmic pooping slash wishing slash. The scientific power of thinking really hard, he manages to more or less basically pray to Galactus to get in touch with him and tell him that he they will find the Silver Surfer if they are just given a little more time. Galactus, who had spent the entire two issues talking that there is no time, basically goes, okay, yeah, fine. So it's it's really, you know, it's sloppy as shit. Yeah. It, it really is just amazingly sloppy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, yeah. So the 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 issue ends mm-hmm. with Galactus teleporting the Fantastic Three back to the Baxter Building. Yes, where Reed says, "Now think, Johnny, think. When you last saw the Silver Surfer, where was he?" <laughs> and Johnny says, "He was in the lab. He was looking in the microscope." And Reed, because Reed always does this, mm-hmm. knows exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. And says when he muttered something about worlds within worlds i knew he must have found my latest experiment <laughs> if you knew that reed why did you just spend the whole bunch of issues being like mm, ah, don't know mm, ah. so this issue jeff on the cover says worlds within worlds the name of the story worlds within worlds and they go the end with next the world within <laughs> Is literally what you're promising us this entire issue? Yeah. Basically, Stan Lee got to the end of the issue and went, fuck, I titled this wrong. Next one should have been called, fuck. All right. Call this next one, like, The World Within, which then ends up, fortunately, not being the actual title of the issue. Because so. FF76, which is, as I said earlier, maybe the least sensical of any Fantastic Four issue because there is a plot twist that comes out of fucking nowhere. Yeah. Uh, is actually called Stranded in Subatomica. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or really, the whole human race is imperiled while the battling FF are stranded in Subatomica. That is correct. It is... Uh, we could say terrible, right? I, I think, unfortunately, we have to. There's a few panels that I absolutely, truly adore. But in terms the, the of... Art- in terms of art, it's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Um, the panel four, when Reed, Sue, uh, Reed, Ben, and Johnny are being shrunk down, mm-hmm. I see what uh, Reed describes as an endless stream of mon- molecules. Yes. It's beautiful. Yeah. That That it's is, I'm sorry, I think you said panel four. It's page four, panel three. You're totally right. You're yes, 100% right. Um, but it is. It is absolutely it, It's gorgeous. wonderful. It's also the first panel where the word Micronauts is uttered. Yes. Which is... Uh, Stan invents the term Micronauts. But even if you're like, oh, maybe they've got it back, just look two panels earlier where Reed explains that their flying ship is powered by the speed of its own shrinkage just as a balloon moves quickly when the air is expelled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got to say, watching Reed Richards say shrinkage repeatedly over the first couple of pages is fun. Um, 
You're a child, Jeff. I really am. I'm like, oh, man, I can't wait for their expedition to Lake Titicaca. This is great. Um, so they, they, they move into Subatomica uh, and Reed uh, reveals that his whole thing is... Uh, he He's had been, been doing this it. for a while. Yes, exactly. Uh, so that he could fight... Psycho Man, the microscopic menace from Subatomica, because he always feared the day he might return, quote, to endanger us anew. So, <laughs> which is great, because Johnny then says, then we would have made this journey sometime anyway, even if we didn't have to find the Silver Surfer? Right, says Reed, or else we could never breathe easy. This is, um... <laughs> Yes, Jeff, what is it? Well, okay, let's get there. There's there's a lot of choices that I think... Uh, I'll, I'll get to it, Graham, trust me. Let me just say, I know you're not... As people have discovered, Graham has confessed that he's not much of a fan of the Silver Surfer. So maybe page six, which is a full page spread... Oh, he's amazing. His, Happy Silver Surfer is so great. Isn't it great? He is gloriously surfing free among a universe... That is more or less, you know, where where molecules are sort of more or less intruding on everything, and it is gloriously great. It is it is a really wonderful page. Interestingly enough, the very next page of it is followed. Well, for me, pages seven through ten or nine, depending, are very clearly in Kirby's conception. The FF have decided that they have to literally do what they've said with Galactus to Galactus. They are trying to take out the Silver Surfer. They attack him and try and subdue him so that they can bring him back. But the Silver Surfer proves to be too strong. That Occam's Razor is the best way to make sense of the pages that are to follow. Except Stan Lee goes with the non-Occam's Razor solution, which is... They fire at the Silver Surfer because, quote, Reed says, I knew the stun blast wouldn't stop him, but at least we've made him aware that we want to establish contact. Then, when they land on the planet, they're like, perhaps he wants to communicate at last, which is why they all dash toward him, and the Human Torch begins, you know, uh, firing flames upon the Silver Surfer, who's covered himself in a great dish of cosmic plexiglass. Um, Graham, do you subscribe to Stan's theory that basically everyone is just trying to talk to the, to the Silver Surfer by like battering him and throwing things at him? And Reed Richards is like, I don't have an idea. Sure. Why not? Let's do this. My whole plan of talking at him by firing weapons at him apparently wasn't working very well. Well, Jeff, here's where you and I differ. Yes. You you're you come from San Francisco. You're you're living that crazy San Francisco hippie life. Sure. Me, I live in Portland, and things are different <laughs> here in Portland. Yeah. And do you know if I'm walking down the street mm-hmm. and I see, let's say Brian Michael Bendis, Portland-centric comic book creator, and I want his attention, it's only polite for me to try and stun him first because I know it won't harm him, mm-hmm. but at least then he'll know. He'll that know that you're him. trying to contact him and communicate with him. And sometimes I'm just walking down the street and there's Matt Fraction, another Portland-based comic creator. And I'm like, Matt, I just want to talk to you. And I run after him aggressively with my hands and fists. And 
he, you know, is like, what's up? And I think the best way I can explain this is to batter you. Yes. It's that's in your liberal bubble of San Francisco, <laughs> Jeff. You just don't understand what Lee and Kirby are doing here. They're really getting over how real people talk. That's right. That's right. And interestingly enough, ladies and gentlemen, you'll be happy to know that what Graham has described is more or less the scenario that my understanding is Brian Bendis and Matt Fraction have perceived Graham as doing for years now <laughs> on the internet. So I appreciate the fact that you've acknowledged, A, that that was what you were doing, but B, that they've misunderstood. Whereas they think that you have been just attacking them uh, for no reason, uh, you've said, you've admitted you're trying to attack them, but only to begin a conversation. So... So thank you, Graham. Thank you for clarifying that. That is something that many people have wondered about for years. There was one time <laughs> where I was talking to Adam Nave and Douglas Walt came up. Uh-huh. Uh, and, you know, I, I you know, hadn't seen Douglas for a while. Mm -hmm. I, I just wanted to, you know, catch up with him. Right. And I said that I was just going to hit him over the head. I was just going to raise my arm up and mm -hmm. just, like, pummel him. Right. And, and Adam said, don't. You're wasting your time. It's Douglas Walt. He's, he, you know, Douglas writes for New York Times. He writes for Pitchfork. That's not going to do anything. And I said, okay, big shot. You got a better idea? And I went, no, I haven't. So I just hit him. There you go. Because that's just the way that we communicate here. Okay. Well, <laughs> so Portland, which if you've been keeping track, hippie free, uh, it does indeed. <laughs> Entirely hippie free. <laughs> hippie free and hipster free. Oh, that's yes. That's mm -hmm. understand about Portland. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you can you can take that to the bank. You can take that you can, to you, you can take that to Stanley's bank. Yeah, the the bank of Stan. Uh so yes, all of which is to say the fight scene that follows between the Fantastic 4 and the Silver Surfer is kind of lovely to look at but makes no sense under the way that it's conceived unless you're in Portland. And then the Silver Surfer uh just Life says, up. yeah. He's just like, "See ya." See ya. An unknown universe unfolds before me, and I must answer its silent summons. Uh, and here's where things go from sloppy to downright wacky. Yes. The Silver Surfer runs into the Psychoman's ship. Yes. Okay. The Psychoman, having, as you do, sworn vengeance on the Fantastic Four, decides that he should basically fight the Silver Surfer. Yeah. So he sends out his indestructible one, which mm -hmm. I think we all agree is one of Suede's best B-sides. <laughs> this is where things go totally weird. Yeah. He sends the indestructible one out against the Silver Surfer. Yeah. But the indestructible one comes up against the Fantastic Four. Yeah. The Fantastic Four fight the indestructible one, who, spoilers, turns out not to be indestructible. Yes. The indestructible one, I should say, is entirely silenced during this battle and never once betrays his origins. Yes, this this is, again, for those of us keeping track at, at home, this is very much, I think, Kirby being intellectual property, maybe this was not a good idea. So he is he has basically drawn a purple nude dude wearing a green football helmet to beat people and up. Charts. And shorts. And shorts. With absolutely, he has no personality, um, no real powers, well, and and is really arguably the most visually uninteresting character um, 
super adaptoid or whatever the the robot was last time yeah yeah the the previous well there's the stuff that's that we just passed there's the uninteresting characters coming up there's the punisher these characters are are um are are fascinating in their in their unness i should say and i will agree with you with the caveat of just you wait jeff lester (laughs) yes um I, i will say this however I think that while you make a good point, I don't think we can blame his lack of personality on Kirby because Lee could have easily have had him have a personality. That is true. He, he yeah. is complicit in making this character a silent character. Well, I, I, while I agree with you, I am fascinated by uh, the... Yeah, I suppose that's true. You could have, and Lee certainly would do something like this. The first several appearances of the purple nude guy, or near nude guy, the purple never nude, is his back is to us. So I suppose Stan could have him speak. And there's a few points where his mouth is obscured. But the rest of the time, Kirby makes a point for the character to be shown with a completely closed mouth and as expressionless as you could get. So he is certainly not giving Stan a lot to work with. And Stan perhaps wisely just seeds the ground and is like, I will have everyone else talk twice as much. Throughout exactly. I'll have everyone else talk a lot. Yeah. Nonetheless, by the time this battle is over, mm-hmm. um, and how does the battle even end? Oh, he just disappears. He just again. disappears again. Exactly. Uh, but by the time this battle is over, the Silver Surfer reappears. Yes. After the battle is over. Yeah. Because obviously. Yeah. And says, you know what? I'm going to go back to Earth and hang out with Galactus. You guys are right. Yes. And the Fantastic Four say, we've got to take care of Psycho Man. Yeah. Why? That's yes. That's a really good question. That is a good question. And again, one of these like stand swerves that to me does not make any sense. Because I don't think it's a sandstorm. I think it's because Psychoman shows up in the net, in the last panel of this issue. He does. He does. But okay, my thing is, is and I could be wrong. Uh, in 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 Kirby's view, it's possible that um, the Silver Surfer just wipes the the non-existent. Uh, villain away because you see him gesturing from a hill as if he had done that although he's not he's just you know in stan script he's like hey he's, he's literally just like hey you guys yes mr the the most out of character panel the dialogue caption ever he says after eluding you i returned to amuse myself at your frustration that sounds that's that's definitely that's what the silver surfer does all the time exactly Exactly. So a little out of character there. There's the idea of like, did he come to this planet and therefore the thing came back? Like, did he come back to basically be good um, without hearing the explanation? You certainly have on um, the very last page in panel two, a kind of halo behind the Silver Surfer's head. But 
According to Stan, no, he came back to more or less mock the Fantastic Three, and then after hearing them, their heroic blubbering about Earth convinced him that he needs to go back. So once again, even in the act of doing nothing, the heroes have been super active. Silver Surfer jumps into space. You see a hand reaching for a knob, which is grotesquely enough reed saying we may never have a chance to return here again so we'll set the controls to maximum penetration and now it will be the three of us against the total forces of subatomica this i am much fonder of the idea that, that again they are like we are going to follow in the the after the Silver Surfer, and then yeah. what you end up seeing in the beginning of FF77, Shall Earth Endure, is a, basically a giant cosmic transportation Hoover machine that shows up and grabs the FF before they can yeah, return. Yeah, it, it derails the return home. Exactly. But because Lee has crafted the whole thing as if they are in search of the Psycho Man... Um, that's not what happens, which leads to the world's most confusing ending. So, it, and uh, it is a, a, an amazingly confusing ending. Yeah, we should also say that while this the fight with the indestructible one has been going on, yeah, Galactus has given up waiting again. Yes, and has decided that he is actually going to eat Earth this time for yeah. sure. You know, no backsies has decided he's going to bathe Earth in a torrent of antimatter rays. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, let's face it, Galactus is a guy who is all backsies. You know? At really every is. stage. I this time definitely gonna eat it this time. I've yeah. got you watch me. Watch me, I'm gonna eat it. Yeah. What? It's like Oh no, 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 I'm not. Yeah. You have my word. I will never eat it. Fuck it. I'm eating it. No, I'm not. Yes, I am. It's it's backsies all the way with Galactus. So in uh issue seventy seven, shall Earth endure um no, Jeff. Oh yes. The fabulous FF must fight to the finish as they desperately ask, shall Earth endure? You know, I have to say, Graham, while reading this, I was like, you know, one thing that I really have to give Graham credit for is Stan has crafted over, you know, crafted 77 of these ridiculous little teasers into the title. And it's right that Graham reads them. However, what, what I like, though, is that he goes through phases. Yeah. So there was a number of runs where it was battling FF. Yes. Yeah, it's Which true. I loved. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, so I was saying, I really should give you credit for it, but I'm not because you're kind of a jerk about it. So uh... it's worth pointing out also that the credit box for this ends with a piece of Latin. Yes. Neil you... Nisi Optimum. Oh, yeah. sorry, Optimus. Yes. And do you know what that means? Uh, nothing but the best is good enough, roughly. Just nothing but the best, Jeff. Oh, oh my goodness. Look at you. Look at you, my little Latinate. That's fabulous. Hey. One of us is the son of someone who studied Latin for many years. Really? Did you? My dad... father even had a fake Latin name, and no. I say fake Latin name because it really was someone I think just taking the piss. <laughs> My father, whose whose birth name was Malcolm, even oh. though he went by Ross, was called Malcolm. Oh God, I'm going to get this wrong now. Malcolumbum, perhaps. <laughs> It's like it was a clearly fake name, and he had a, a surname that I can't remember at all. It was nothing like Macmillan. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, he had like he was as part of his uh, classical languages studies. Huh. He had a, a, a Latin name. Really? Yeah. 
That is that is fascinating. That explains why you know it and I didn't. And yet, ironically, which of the two of us has uh, an email with Latin uh, in the name? It's not me. <laughs> exactly. So there we go. So, Graham, why don't you take over the, the steering wheel as it is, your powerful Latin hands uh, gra- grasping the wheel of FF77, and steer us through it, shall you? So, whether by art or by actual plot design, the Fantastic Four find of Fantastic Three as they really are, because Sue is still lying in bed. Sue is so lazy at this point. They get find themselves kidnapped by the Psycho Man. Is our, our way of putting it, yes, yes, exactly. Well, no, that's... I guess that's what happens in the act of them attacking and invading the Psycho Man. So the idea that the, the Fantastic Three have, rather than go back to Earth, face Galactus, take care of the, you know, Sue, who's pregnant and uh, soon to be in labor, but instead are attacking the Psycho Man in the best way they know how, which is to say getting kidnapped by him. But also in the best way they know how, which seems to be because the previous issue ends with Reed going, we've got to take care of the Psycho Man. Psycho Man then teleports them to his hideout. Yes. And Reed is going, oh, you guys stand back. Don't do anything rash. Yes. And Johnny, of course, flames on and then tries to set fire to him. Only to discover, shock of shocks, it's not really the Psycho Man like it was the first time. It's a robot that the Psycho Man has sent in his wake. An encepho projector. Um, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. The thing that is really especially terrible about this issue is the idea that they're bringing in the Psycho Man, a character who in his previous appearance, for those following us in the Baxter building, may remember, has such vague powers that no one in the issue can actually figure out what's happening or why, to bring him back for a climactic finale when we don't know, and Lee and Kirby still have not agreed on what Psycho Man can do, is... Uh, he can psycho, okay? He, you know, and this is the other thing that sucks. Much like Apple, rather than focusing on the iPad... The Psycho Man of Fantastic Four 77 is instead focusing on, uh, if you will, his Apple Watch and his Apple TV in that (laughs) rather than using his awesome powers of creating things with his iPad, he's instead using big robot cyber suits and what looks like uh, little goofy uh, Kirby designed alarm clocks to, to, to battle our heroes. You really have you. You have become the ultimate San Francisco Jeff. <laughs> I'm going to look at this through the through mockery of Apple's current corporate plans. <laughs> um, while the FF have been duped by another Psycho Man robot, Silver Surfer arrives back on Earth and confronts Crystal, who mm-hmm. is babysitting. Sue, who is confined to bed by this point. Sue gets very, understandably emotional, going, where's my husband? Yeah. He had to check on something not two issues ago. He's not come back. Silver Surfer does, I think, what everyone thinks is the best thing, mm-hmm. which is basically forces her asleep. Yes. Did you notice how handsy Sue is being on she's page six? Amazing. Like, sure, but she's also not amazingly handsy. How many other people in the history of the 76 issues of the Fantastic Four have you seen Sue put her hands on 
uh, on their shoulders and then grasp their uh, ha- arm no, slash hand. Su- but this is Kirby shorthand for a woman is being emotional. Yes. You will see Suze do this for Reed on many an occasion. Yeah, yes. Too for that matter, you'll also see Reed do it a lot to Ben Grimm. So maybe it's it's not a gendered thing as much as it's a emotional, I was going to say outburst, but I mean the opposite of outburst. Restraint. Uh, uh, right. Right. Yes. Yeah, a little bit of the old silent movie acting from Kirby, which I do love. But again, I'm telling you, the <laughs> surfer, he should be LL Cool S. You know what I mean? LL Cool S. Lovely. Yeah, ladies love cool LL surfer. LL Surfer J. Yeah, LLK, LL Cool, LL Bean. No, lovely. <laughs> no, ladies love cool surfer. That's what we're talking about. LL Cool SS, a, if you want to do that. Aids. Yeah. <laughs> That's ah. Okay, the best part was you sneaking in a Beatles joke and yet also sounding weirdly like Stephen Hawking's while doing it. So uh, <laughs> let us move on to page seven. I'm embarrass either of us by actually doing a Stephen Hawking impression at oh. this point. I am instead going to say Shit. that the surfer immediately flies off after uh, putting Sue under. Immediately flies off to confront Galactus. Yes. And basically says, Galactus, I'll get you your food. Yeah. Because Galactus, let's not forget, has had no time to wait, has had time to wait, has decided there's no time to wait again, and now there's time to wait. And weirdly enough, let me tell you, here's something that I feel you do not see uh, very often in Kirby, which is a page that is kind of um, badly designed, uh, storytelling-wise, and he does not own up to it. Page 7 actually has Galactus drawn sideways in silhouette, looking a little bit like Elmer Fudd wearing a tin can on his head. The proportions there are really strange, aren't they? Really, really odd. Really odd. Like, it really looks as if Galactus has been turned, in, is really just, in fact, a fat child with a grasshopper's head um, in profile. So... It, it's it's an interesting choice, and I have to say, kind of doesn't work, which is a shame. So that that page really doesn't work, which is is very unKirby. Yes, there are a lot of small Kirby elements of it. The mm-hmm. third, fourth panels in that page, in particular, yes. feel very Kirby. Yeah, but the overall layout, the page doesn't flow in the way that these things normally do. Mm-hmm. And what's very interesting to me is. Kirby normally has a center gutter that will run down the entire page Mm -hmm. or will not exist on one uh, of the the layers of the page because it goes across the entire page. Mm -hmm. Here, there are six panels on the page. Yes. But the last two panels are split in such a way that the center gutter is... is, The gutter itself has been moved to the left, Mm -hmm. which makes me wonder if they've been redrawn. I sort of wondered about that as well, because um, it really does feel because there is a point that, frankly, if you are paying attention to this issue, shall Earth endure like this is not what one would call uh, a anyone can pick this up and start reading issue. You know, it is crazily confusing. And I sort of wonder if maybe in the act of like. You know, because you really don't see Galactus up until he appears on page seven, and then it's only his fingertip and in that last panel, his face. 
And I almost feel as if they're kind of like, oh, right, I have to point out that he's sort of a corporeal being, but I've got to get this jammed. It, it's a very, it's a strange, strange thing that Kirby, like you said, you just don't see that often. And you're right, by the way, a lot of this, the rest of this issue, you see how much, how well, and how frequently um, Kirby uses the five panel page, usually with two, you know, two two tiers of two panels each, and then a, uh, you know, a widespread panel, which sometimes he puts it at the top, sometimes he puts it in the middle, sometimes he puts it in the bottom. It's one of those, like, it's it's a page design that Kirby's very comfortable with and always works. Seeing him break it here for whatever reason is very strange. It feels false. It feels yeah. Don Kirby. And something else that feels very un esque for this page as well is that normally... And I've talked about this a lot. Kirby's panels lead on to the next panel. Yes. That there is a visual guide that your eye will go, oh, I'm going in this direction. Now I'm going in this direction. Now I'm going in this direction. Yeah. And that is totally lost in the final two panels of, the, of page seven. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those two panels don't have the flow. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it is, it's a, it's very strange. It's very strange. There is something where he just... I, I personally think that it's just kind of a rare fuck-up from Kirby, but um, who I think was... It's a fuck-up in such a strange way that it feels false. It, it definitely feels false, but I can't necessarily tell. I mean, believe me, with the rest of this issue that's going on, uh, which I think we should proceed with, which is basically... That's, that's true. Yeah. It's uh, basically fights between the FF or the Fantastic Three and a succession of Psychoman robots. Yes. Yeah. Psychoman robots uh, with a lot of fighting, which would be interesting if it wasn't for just this idea that A, it's utterly nonsensical, and B, there's a great scene on page 12 where Reed gets upset at Ben for beating up the Psychoman too well, uh, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, and, I, and I assume is Lee taking the... taking cues from the fact that in panel four you've got reed looking kind of frustrated and vexed and then in panel five picking up a bit of circuitry but somehow turns into um reed chastising uh ben saying okay big man i guess you're real proud of yourself now and ben saying well i'll be a monkey's uncle and reed saying you don't have the brains to be so how many brains does it take to be a monkey's uncle exactly, Reed? Yeah, you know, you really do. You do wonder. Now, that, again, I'm like, Stanley, what are you doing? But that's really followed by page 13, which, let's face it, is kind of an ultimate. If you assume, as I do, and I think Graham does, that Jack Kirby is the guy who's plotting this book, who is the stories are being told at his pace. He's making the decisions as to what happens. We have had three issues of buildup where Galactus is like, I need the Silver Surfer. The Silver Surfer's got to find me a planet to eat. It's got to find it now. Yes, absolutely. I can't stand it. Silver Surfer flies into space, sees a uh, flaming meteor strike a long dead planet, that releases enough energy to bathe the solar system and announces now Galactus shall hunger no more and the humans of earth will be spared. I got to admit as story wise goes, it's Kirby who has, I think suffered from severe anticlimactica in 
other FF stories where it seems that he's kind of gotten bored or uninterested or it's really beside the point. This, to me, was kind of like a new high in lows, I think. Do you agree or no? Yeah, it's a very... By even the previous issue, Mm -hmm. the Galactus part of this this Mm four-parter has become an afterthought. Yeah. And so you have the strangest conclusion to what for the first couple of issues of this was the genuine oh galactus is going to destroy the earth this time yeah, yeah. uh with basically oh I, I found i found him this planet which is hilarious because earlier on in this four-parter you have galactus say all of the planets are lifeless they can't do anything for me then you have galactus revealing he has a lot of power and he has other minions he can send to do shit yes but what the Silver Surfer eventually does is something that I, apart from the plot requires it to be this way, mm-hmm. I can't believe that someone else couldn't have done this. Mm-hmm. 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 Absolutely. I mean, it again, except in that way that, uh, it, again, it only makes sense in a way that is not intended, which is, is that Galactus is hilariously senile and the Silver Surfer is more or less the put upon offspring who ostensibly is the only one that can help him find his pants and microwave his Stouffer's frozen food for him. So it's kind of a, kind of a bummer. I have to say though, that even more sad than 13 to me is page 14 Graham, because page 14 is, I think kind of a stage of Kirby doing something that is pretty astonishing. Uh, for people who don't have it in front of them, page 14 is the FF making their way through the Psycho Man's complex after having crushed another robot in search of him. The thing that is, to me is amazing about this page is the way Kirby designs it. It is utterly, completely abstract. The FF... Um, You only see them when you get to the bottom right-hand corner of the page. And one of the things that is glorious is the rest of the page, the vast majority of it, is Kirby Kirby noodling at a super high degree, amazing amounts of fake Kirby tech, and even better, an astonishingly abstract conception of page design. If you were looking at this, if you were, you know... In like an issue of Raw, it would be like, oh, this makes a lot of sense why this is in this issue of Raw, because what's great is Kirby in a non-narrative way has come up with three different ways to guide your eye. You have several different choices on how you get to the bottom of the page, and each one has various lines, angles, pointers, and guides so that your eye will get to the bottom of that page and take in the entire landscape around it and kind of be odd and also be guided in this purely it's totally it's not storytelling at all it's all visual guide work and mm-hmm. stan lee and this is why it's the saddest page for me is up in the left hand corner says well things could be looking up a bit from old for old mother earth now if only we could say as much for our bewildered little buddies and then he draws a caption. He has a, an arrow caption pointing to the bottom right-hand corner of the page saying, that's them walking single file along another of Jolly Jack's somewhat spectacular street scenes. Not only is it not a street, 
But for me, the whole idea that everything that Kirby was doing, Stan does not trust enough and literally puts in the top left-hand corner, know they're down there with a caption pointing at them so that your eye can get to it. And of course, he does some other things with word balloon placement for something that really I feel Kirby designed to be to to work at a, a completely amazing level of pure abstract comic art really bummed me out. There's two things I want to say about this page. One yeah. is my favorite thing about the arrow caption is that it's not actually pointing at the characters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's pointing beside the characters. It, it kind of is and, pointing at this little portal in the corner that actually isn't quite right, you know? Uh, and the second thing is, is it just me or does this feel like half of a double page spread to you? Mm. It it does feel there is that is actually a great observation. Yeah, it kind of feels like Kirby's a little rushed here. Like he's got too much stuff. He needs to wrap I, I, it up. The yeah. placement of the figures and the fact that especially the center of the page is taken up by the red yes. curve. Yeah. Which doesn't actually go anywhere. I'm convinced there is another page to the right of this. Maybe convinced. Kirby's page design is such mm-hmm. that it's really strange to me that he wouldn't have placed the characters at the center. But see, but this is okay, and this is where you and I might disagree because, of course, you point out the caption is wrong. That red ribbon really exists. I feel as a guide if you anywhere that you start like if you start in the upper left hand corner if you follow the the purple kirby tech the pylon in the left hand corner you can follow it straight down and then your eye is guided to the right by its you know uh the base of its pylon and you end up at the fantastic four on their little walkway or if you start by reading from left to right, your eye is guided to the red ribbon, which to me is a design element to make sure that you get to the bottom of the page because it sort of roughly mimics the way that your eye is supposed to kind of scan the page. It, well, it doesn't. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. Like, I would believe that if the red ribbon started on the left-hand side of the page. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't. Yeah, no, it doesn't. But it, it I, starts on the right and it ends up on the right. Yeah, it actually doesn't lead you anywhere. I feel that because it, you already have the you have the uh, walkway that the characters are on, doing the leading your eye down the page. Well, that is true. The the walkway is half complete. So to me, I don't feel the walkway really guides you nearly as much as like you start at the left. You've got the little purple squiggle. You hit that little globe. Then you go down the the purple little uh, jubi mahab. And then you hit the red thing. The red ribbon got sort of like hooks you through all this stuff. But if you keep following it, where it ends is just above Johnny Storm. And then you go down to Johnny, Ben and Reed. So... Uh, it's amazing that that this is uh, that this is what we're going to disagree on. But I certainly say, <laughs> on the one hand, you're you're right, except for the fact that there is nothing that could be on that other the second half of that page that would have, as far as I can tell, any in, any new information in the story apart from maybe the psycho man in his battle suit waiting for them. And, and I feel the next page clearly does the surprise. Gotcha. You're jumped, you know, by the psycho man in his little, with another very non Kirby esque panel. Yeah. Uh, panel two on page 15 Mm -hmm. of the characters being blown away. Yeah. Is Kirby esque, 
mm-hmm. but not Kirby, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's another one where it's very close to being something that we'd recognize as like, oh, that's obviously a Kirby panel. Yeah. But in particular, the placement of Johnny mm. and the, 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 the positioning of Johnny mm-hmm. just reads really strangely. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it could be and one of the last times that we I was complaining about Kirby art. I suggested that maybe it was because he was also working on the annual. And mm-hmm. it could be that again. Yeah. That Kirby is literally bang, banging out these pages. Yeah. Because yeah. he's also working on the annual at the same time. But there are a lot of really strangely uh, Kirby-like, but not Kirby moments. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It, 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 is, it does not have his typical flow. So, um, so page 15, more fights, this time the, the sort of ultimate fight as, uh, Psycho Man has designed his eye suit to be able to fight the FF because it kind of stretches, it can kind of punch stuff. And of course it's got big old fans built in it so that, you know, flames don't really work. It's hilarious. I also love that when the Psycho Man shows up, he's like, this time you face the real Psycho Man. Why would anyone believe him? Yes. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So again, we have a real problem. This is this is a character again with ridiculously defined, non-defined powers, um, in an ultimate showdown with uncertain stakes for no reason. And fortunately, although he is super awesome when it comes to beating the shit out of super people, he cannot stand his own scenery. He literally cannot withstand the force of junk that he himself built. So. Um, I do love that he gets crushed and then he's just like, I can't move. I'm being crushed. He gets crushed. I should point out because the thing drops a pillar on him, essentially. Yeah. Uh, I can't move. I'm being crushed. Help me. Save me. Don't leave me here. (laughs) You're terrible, psycho man. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Speaking of being terrible, uh, it cuts from the fight to Galactus and the Silver Surfer, where Silver Surfer says, I've brought you to the world you seek. Here there is energy enough to sustain your incomprehensible hunger. Thus, I now ask that you set me free, free to roam the skyways of space, free of my bondage to the planet Earth. And Galactus, being the guy whose life has been saved by the Silver Surfer, says... Sure. Yeah. Except he actually says, your request is denied. So long as life endures, I must ever know where you shall be found. Though I may not return for countless millenniums, all must be as now it is, such as the will of Galactus. And so basically squirts the Silver Surfer back onto the, quote, mad orbiting prison, which men call Earth. So the Silver Surfer... To be fair, after reading that, I am now calling Earth a mad orbiting prison. I, I have to admit, fits, I, I, I have been calling it that for years. I admit it as well. But uh, uh, I, can yeah. we also talk about the fact that Galactus does not know that the plural of millennium is millennia? I know. I was like, oh, Galactus, please. Your your Latin is probably even more shoddy than mine. So, yeah. Uh, so there's the Silver Surfer sad trapped on Earth for the next time that Galactus needs a cosmic no, pizza delivered. No, he's trapped on Earth. As the caption says, uh, for the Silver Surfer's own adventures in his own mic, get it today, salesman yes. Stan. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's the end of the Silver Surfer 
thread of the storyline, which remember was the entire story for the first two issues. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, is so half-assed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And hilariously, uh, it's part of a story with another equally half-assed thread, but neither of these halves go together to make a whole. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like the Fantastic, the Fantastic Three element is equally just, oh, whatever, a pillar falls on Psychoman. Sure, and then it's over. And the Psychoman's like, oh, wait, I've just heard about Galactus. You guys should go back to Earth. Yes. It's amazing. Now, so here's the thing. Because for me, on top of that, as you point out, Psycho Man says you guys should return to Earth. Reed has expressly said they've come here to end the threat of Psycho Man. Do they? They do not. Do they have him at their mercy? They do. Now, admittedly, the Fantastic Three, not killers per se, but do they rest any promise or anything? They don't. It really technically the whole like we're going to like Silver Surfer's going back to Earth and we're going to go and find the Psycho Pirate makes no sense. The idea that before they can leave they're the Psycho Pirate more or less Psycho Pirate shit. Psycho Man kidnaps them <laughs> and then finally they're like, Look, you have to let us go because uh Galactus takes us out, takes you out, and Psycho Man's like, absolutely, here, let me send you back. You don't even need your stupid micro car and all of its shrinkage, and I'm going to fire you back through space. To me, again, makes more sense. Stan seems to have, in order to make things more dramatic, uh, constructs things such that this ending makes literally no sense whatsoever. None yeah, of the characters... None of this makes sense. Yeah. None of this, none of the second half of this arc makes any sense. That is The true. first half of this arc is kind of dull. And the second half is kind of insane. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazingly disappointed, these four issues. And they should be so great. They you should. I mean, if someone yeah. said, the Galactus comes back to Earth hunting for the Silver Surfer. The yeah. Silver Surfer runs away to the microverse and the Fantastic Four have to follow him and then they end up fighting the Psycho Man. Right. So yeah. That sounds great. Yeah, it really does. There's a way in which it is very easy to construct that story where it would be like, that would be super awesome. And instead, what ends up happening is this. Some really amazing art. Some just absolutely gorgeous stuff but also but also so, some weirdly like not gorgeous stuff yeah some weirdly disappointing stuff some really strange overly speedy stuff um yeah just mysteries abound and um gosh Graham let me see how are we how are we doing here are we we're I guess we're okay sort of as long as we talk time about wise yeah, yeah no, we, we should we should speed through the, the remainders because even though we were speeding through those four issues, it's yeah. still taking us an hour. But yeah, yeah it, it's been – I would love to say that things get better after this issue. Uh, issue 78 is called The Thing No More. Mm-hmm. The FF's forensic Mr. Fantastic does it at the last. <laughs> does he? Well, he, I guess he kind of does. But yeah. this is – we have seen at this point a number of stories yeah. where Mr. Fantastic is trying to turn the thing back and something will go wrong. Yes. The gimmick of this one is nothing actually goes wrong with mm-hmm. the transformation. But that still doesn't make it an interesting story. You know, I I have to say for myself, I really... 
the only thing that I have less patience for at this point than a story about the thing being turned back into Ben Grimm is a story where one of the member of the Frightful Four who couldn't beat the FF as a team with three other people decides that they can then beat them on their own. So this was not and Especially with the wizard. <laughs> yes. One of my least favorite characters. I honestly think Paste Pot Pete, a.k.a. the Trapster, is more interesting to me because his name he is Paste Pot Pete. Stuff. He has more going for him than the wizard. He and really the wizard does. is at the center of the next couple of issues. Yeah. Um, it, again, a weird hopscotch kind of thing, really, in yes. a way. Yeah. And again, there's something that happens that continues the spirit of the story, but logically makes no sense. Yeah. yeah. Short version of this story. Mr. Fantastic does, in fact, do it. He creates a formula that uh, the thing drinks and suddenly the thing is Ben Grimm again. Yeah. It's at that point when the wizard strikes using his new magical power gloves. Sorry, his multi-powered wonder gloves. Wonder gloves, which uh, their their official title. Yeah, official. Uh, well, that's what he calls them. No, I know. I just there love it because gloves. it really is. Again, there's that idea that people just aren't plugged in. Um, can I say really quickly, and it'll be super quick. I find it fascinating that Kirby, who is an artist. Uh, is kind of obsessed with hands, you know, like he really does do a, when you need a completely disposable supervillain, but you want them to seem like they're kind of badass, you show them basically smashing things with their hands. Like this really you, made you me do, think. You do something with their hands. Also, yeah. Kirby's a big fan of their hands get bigger. Yeah, their hands get literally get bigger. And in this one, the scene where the uh, Wonder Bread gloves allow uh, the wizard to basically punch this uh, cast iron anvil and just break it uh, very much reminds me of when Mr. Miracle uh, later on under Kirby's writing and editing faces off against a gangster who is absolutely unstoppable in the scourge of the underworld because he has one steel hand that he can use to karate chop tables in half. Um, well, it's also Karnak. And Karnak, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's, like I said, there's a thing that Kirby has that's kind of like, it makes sense because he's an artist, but I do find it fascinating how often he, you know, because he's got his other stuff, but definitely it's like shorthand, his, no pun intended, his shorthand for showing that someone is super powerful and badass is basically their ability to take their hand, have it be super big, and just, just, crunch the shit out of things so yeah, yeah the power the power always comes through the hands yeah uh the the wizard attacks the wizard almost defeats the fantastic four in large part because ben Grimm, when he's not the thing is a liability yes uh, so mr fantastic who as we all know otherwise could do whatever he wants mm -hmm. has to sacrifice himself in the battle um mm -hmm. to save ben from being squashed yes johnny actually saves the day in this one unusually yeah, which but, is a shame because, yeah, remember back when, like, Johnny was, like, crazily super competent in the early issues of the FF for the most part when left on his own devices? Johnny was the point of view character. Yes, and that, that is mostly gone, I feel. Is there a point of view character in the FF at this point? No, but you can tell that Stan Lee's sympathies are always with Mr. Fantastic. Whereas Kirby's are always with the thing. Yes. So the thing gets the most screen time. Yeah. But Mr. Fantastic is always the most competent. Yes, is all exactly is the most yeah the most shouty and the most correct 
Um, and every once in a while, Johnny shows up and does something like this, where he more or less, thanks to um, him and a tub full of chemicals, pretty much beats the wizard about as easily as the wizard should be able to be beaten. So <laughs> It's true. He pretty much dunks him. He melts a floor in the hole. So the wizard falls into a, dunk, a tank of chemicals. He sticks a lid on it and then spins it around to knock the wizard out, which is kind of hilarious. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. They grab the Wonder Gloves off of the wizard just in time for the wizard to wake up and fly off. Yes. That's, that's your issue. Yeah. With the exception of an interlude in which we discover that there is something wrong with Sue. Yes. Yes. Sue's recent microphoto of her blood cells enlarged many times, of course, reveals that there are strange-looking flashes caused by the cosmic radiation that gave her her powers, which might lead to complications. Yes. Now, I have to say, Graham, I'm mighty delighted to hear that uh, the anniversary, the anniversary, that the annual actually exists, because when I got to the end of those issues and... (laughs) That did not pay off in any way. I was like, those sons of bitches, they really were not going here. I do have to say for myself, uh, my favorite part of this issue were basically the panels where uh, Reed and Johnny take an elevator upstairs and start cleaning up a lab on their own. That yes. was yeah. kind of great. It, it's the most fun part of it. And when we get to issue 79... Yes. A monster forever, question mark? Mm-hmm. Uh, the giveaway of that, by the way, is the cover where you see the thing and it's the monster forever, exclamation point. <laughs> Bit of a giveaway. The uh, splash page also is introducing the android man, a sure sign that not only is Kirby giving up, Stanley's kind of giving up a little bit as well. It's fascinating to watch Stan follow Jack's lead there. It's like, hmm, I'm okay. Uh, uh, whatever. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, nonetheless, there's some great stuff in the first few pages of this. Yeah. I would say the first three pages are the most vital this series has felt in a long time. And it's literally Crystal, Johnny, and Ben. Yeah. Moving around. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it is just great. It's great stuff. Yeah. Pages, pages two, three, and four are just so strong and so wonderful. Uh, it starts off with uh, Ben Grimm um, wearing some amazing colored clothes, looking at a photo of himself as the thing. Crystal, who's never seen Ben Grimm, says, I never dreamed you'd be so groovy looking, Ben. I just can't wait until Alicia realizes that you're back to normal. Imagine how thrilled she'll be. And then she kind of gives Ben a big old smooch on the lips, which is uh, Crystal, kind of a swinger. I'm kind of like... I'm down with it. I have to say crystal has the most personality in this issue and the whole sequence where Johnny drags her off with kind of a weird goofy. There's no way I can be jealous. Let me pretend that never happened. Look on his face, followed by the two of them taking the elevator out and deciding to be goofy kids in love is 20 some odd issues overdue. I think for making them, Makes sense as a couple, and also just like God, I wish that Kirby could do this sort of thing all the time because it really is so fun and so sweet, and just it's just goofy, but it's so enjoyable and energetic, and really is kind of a much. It's so needed, isn't it? Like I'm yeah, fascinated. It's, it's lovely. It's it's the book living up to the first family tradition that it has been foisted upon it. 
for yeah. the first time in the longest time. For the and it's the antidote to the soap opera of Sue is pregnant and something is bad is happening. <laughs> yeah. You the know? thing that is, Which that is, is pretty it, amazing. It's, it's, mm-hmm. I think it might actually be this issue. It is. Yes. It's this issue. Yeah. Uh, you Because the next scene mm-hmm. is Reed looking at the strange radioactive flashes and being very concerned and being unable to tell Sue. And as part of that, you get page eight, which is a full page splash of the two of them holding hands, staring out into nothingness slash the reader. Mm-hmm. Lost in their own thoughts. Yes. Uh, that is the most amazingly melodramatic soap opera thing yeah. that we've seen in this title yet. Mm-hmm. And yet, also, just great. Yeah, it, it is great. Like, it, it's, it's wonderful. And ditching the hyper-adventure mm-hmm. that the series has, has adopted pretty much continually since the him storyline back right. in 67, 68, yeah. uh, does wonders for the book. Yeah. It's true. Like the first half of this issue is really, really great. Yeah, yeah. Because it's, it does just it treats them as characters again and not props. Yeah, it's it's it is it is eight full pages of no superhero action, and it is such a goddamn blessed relief. Um, I will say though that of course it is a bummer that Reed basically is like, oh, how am I going to break this news to Sue? Oh, I know, I'll just lie again, which really does make that. Um, that pinup of theirs, the the single page spread where they're staring at us and is supposed to be them sort of lost in their own thoughts. Stan, and I think this is probably a very smart choice, is basically having each of them think about how devoted the two of them are to one another. But of course, for me, Reed's dysfunctional shenanigans makes that actually a kind of sad full page spread. It's It's a very weirdly bittersweet page, isn't it? it? It is. It completely is. immediately before that, you have two panels earlier. Reed's Mm -hmm. talk about how racked with guilt he is that he can't be honest. Yeah. Followed a panel later by Sue acknowledging that she knows he's hiding something. Yeah, right. Exactly. So, So you basically have a really dysfunctional couple staring down the face of... A, I'm lying. B, I know he's lying. And, of course, maybe this is the way it really does happen with couples. Uh, The next page is the two of them going, and yet we're going to make it work. So, um, yeah, it's it's a dysfunctional moment that uh, then Kirby's like, okay, we've had enough of this. Time for a fight. It's been eight pages and there's not been a fight. It's time for a fight. Let's introduce glam rocker Henry Rollins. Uh, a.k.a. Android Man, a.k.a. the android that is activated by warmth, um, which the police find in the Mad Thinker's refrigerator next to some bologna and some mustard. And uh, Yeah, but if you less... take some bologna and mustard out of that fridge, Jesus, you don't want to see what it could have happened. Oh, yeah. yeah do not mess with it. Do not the mess with it. The sandwich that walked like a man. Oh, we my were God. So Grant, you were a genius. And I have to say, that would have been way more interesting and threatening then glam rocker Henry Rollins, aka the Android. The, the Android Man, man yeah. is uh, kind of terrible. <laughs> so the Android Man uh, attacks mm-hmm. Ben Grimm for the wonderful plot contrivance reason of he's homing in on the power gloves, which inexplicably Ben has brought with him on yeah. a date with Alicia. Yes, yes, exactly. How does any and all of that work? It. It does not, it does not, it does not. 
Let's just say that. Also interesting is seeing Ben on a date with Alicia uh, in a restaurant. And uh, although the scene is super brief, it's just one page on uh, it's page 12. You get the sense that um, Alicia, as we've always suspected, is a freak to, to use the, the Rick Jamesian sense of things and is much more interested in a, a enormous block of rocks shaped like a man than well, no. an actual to be man. Fair, we don't know that. We know that Ben thinks that. Yes. Which completely fits in with Ben's I am going to feel sorry for myself no matter what. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because Alicia doesn't say anything to that effect at all. She does say, I don't know, Ben. Somehow everything seems different now. You know? Sure, but that could be her reflecting on Ben being weird. Yeah, maybe. He's just a little nervous. You would think that Alicia, who has been... I mean... And it could be. I mean, certainly that is the case. But Alicia, who has more or less been a character that has been empathetic to the point of being super psychic, um, you know, maybe it's just the fact that she's tuned into the fact that Ben is weird. But frankly, from all the other times that we've seen Ben be histrionic and more than a little bit of a dick about it, he is quietly riding in a cab on the way to this date, apart from the fact that he's brought a bunch of supervillains gloves uh, in a box for some reason. Um, is Maybe actually... he's going to give them to her as a, like a sculpting gift. Yeah, Maybe. Like, here, you work baby. with your hands a lot, don't you? you these I've, are got, I've got a great idea. <laughs> that's the sound of the, the gloves, by the way. Oh, thank you. I like the idea that that's the sound of Alicia. Um, so <laughs> oh, I was going to say it was the sign of Ben. It's a win-win situation, really, everybody. Whatever sound you attach that to, it's great. It's all great. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I know that uh, for the necessity of getting through all these things in a somewhat timely manner, I should, I should put my, my doubts aside. But let us just say that it is, it is a very odd scene. Um, it's portrayed oddly, and I think it also does a certain weird, it does a sort of injustice to what happens later, um, because as the android man breaks in, uh, tracking in on the, the homing gloves, and begins punching Ben Grimm, uh, trying to get the gloves from Alicia, and Ben is forced to battle a dude who is... Uh, an all-powerful android and Ben is just a normal human being. Um, Ben's only choice to actually protect the woman that he loves and uh, defeat uh, Android Man is basically to put on his gloves and use the the power released by the Wonder Gloves is enough to actually change him back into the thing. Well, this is another of the, no pun intended, things that make no sense for me about this. Yeah. Because he says, it took a sudden giant urge of energy to turn me back into Ben Grimm. The only way to reverse that process has got to be another such shock. No, it took you drinking a chemical potion. Yeah, well, like, so it makes no sense. It's just another yeah. surge of energy because what if he got it, like, electrocuted by mistake? Well, let's, let's, let's even take this a step farther. I mean, Kirby establishes that the wizard puts on the gloves turns them on and it allows him to like crush anvils and do all kinds of cool shit. 
wouldn't it make sense that Ben, knowing this, basically puts on the Wonder Gloves, turns them on quite deliberately with the idea that he's not trying to turn himself back into the thing. He's trying to give use the power of the gloves to yeah. as, no, as a that, way that to... Would, that would make perfect sense. But also, if you look at the art, yeah, and this is not a case of, I think Kirby had another plan that made more sense, because if you look at the art, it makes even less sense. Yeah. But Kirby has him putting, just putting on the gloves and using them. Yes. Which means that if that's the logic, then the wizard was getting shocked every single time he used his gloves in the previous issue. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that I think would be interesting that is that to me, there is no smoking gun of, well, actually, no, I take it back. I take it back. I personally think that Ben, that Kirby has been put on the gloves with the idea of fighting the android. He gets turned back into the thing um, and does not acknowledge it until the very last four panels. The idea that, and, and I think to me, there's kind of, I don't know, apart from those last four panels, there is no point at which the thing evinces any sort of surprise or shock yeah. that he's turned yeah. into the thing, yeah. which which I think does, in that sense, make a pretty good case for the argument that he deliberately did this nonsensical thing to turn himself back into the thing deliberately in Kirby's plotting. And Stan is just following that up and trying to come up with the best justifications that he can for it. Mm-hmm. But, but I mean, there's lots of sloppy here. For example, Ben puts on the gloves, he turns into Thing, then he is not wearing the gloves for the final panel of page 17 or the first panel of page 18. Then in the second panel of page 18, he throws the gloves away having taken them off. Yeah, that's right. That is... So... Yeah. What? Yeah. There it, is... A, and it's not even like, oh, it's a coloring mistake. <laughs> the final panel of page 17 is a close-up of the Thing's face. <laughs> Well, yeah, page 17, but I think that's, I think that is actually, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. It's all over the mess. It's all over the point because you show him putting on one glove on his left hand in panel four. Then in panel five, it's the, it's his right hand that is wearing the glove. And then in the last panel, it is the left hand that is the thing's hand, uh, his ungloved hand punching the android when clearly two panels earlier, he was putting it on his left. So... Things are just oh, well, and as he, long as we're talking about things that are nonsensical, he's wearing, glo- he's wearing both gloves on uh, page seventeen. Uh, uh, um, on page seventeen, is he? Yeah, yeah. You, well, right, because you show him. Pa- panel four is him putting on the left glove. Panel five, he's wearing the right glove as well. Exactly, and then, but then, in, in the last panel, he the glove is off his left hand. So it's it's a complete mystery. As long as we're talking about mysteries, I just want to say. Graham and I praised the first uh, eight pages of this issue, um, and we totally did. But can you figure out what happened on page five, Graham? Because that is a mystery to me. It's one of those things where you see Ben Grimm in the cab, and then suddenly you cut to Johnny and Crystal in a Corvette for no reason, and then it cuts back to Ben. Like, is there a storytelling thing that is happening there that that makes any sense to you? No. Not okay. in the slightest. Okay, great. Because I really want them like. But again, if you look at the uh, the panels on page five, mm-hmm. the bottom two panels don't look like Kirby art. In particular, look at p- panel four on yes. page five, and the woman in the foreground 
that's not Kirby. You know, you're right. It is interesting. It's it's not Kirby. It's not even Senate, really. No. So, yeah, I don't I don't so know. Shenanigans are a food. Yeah, yeah. There, you something got redrawn or something. It just it or I don't know what happened, but it literally makes no sense what's happening there. Um, you know, <laughs> maybe it's the scene where like Ben puts the pistol in his pocket and is like, yeah, and if she. Won't have anything to do with me. I'm going to blow us both to hell, you know, and uh, Stan's like, no, no, let's redraw that. But who knows? <laughs> who um, knows? The end of the issue, nonetheless, is that the Ben turns back into the thing to save Alicia and he defeats the Android Man. By mm-hmm. the time that Johnny arrives to help Ben, the Android Man is entirely defeated. My favorite thing about it is Johnny finds him and goes, looks like a super powerful Android. No, Johnny, he looks like a really big dude with green hair. Yeah, he kind of looks like Glam Henry Rollins, man. Let's face it. Uh, but then <laughs> I love the ends. idea. You're like, it does not, Jeff, but I will never acknowledge that to you out loud. Uh, yes, you were saying. <laughs> the issue ends with uh, the thing feeling sorry for himself because it's the fucking thing and walking off because he's sad about the choice that he made. Yes, that he consciously, cognizantly made, but maybe he forgot about again. It's just all a big mess. And let's face it, if this was a big mess that was the last time that the thing ever complained about being Ben Grimm or anyone talked about trying to cure Ben Grimm or that the thing ever changed back to Ben Grimm, if that was the end of it, I would still consider us ahead of the game. Um, it's true. But oh, oh, this is just this might it might be the last time Kirby and Lee do it, though. Yeah, because there's yeah. Which is, but of course, that doesn't mean that there's not another three hundred odd issues of other people doing it <laughs> a lot. Well, and I haven't—I I never even saw if like Stan goes back to it once he's got John Romita and John Basima uh, helping fill the Kirby shoes later on. But uh, but enough of that. Let's talk yeah, about like, let's issue... talk about FF eighty. Yes, which is—it's special. It desperately. Fantastic Four must go. Where treads the living totem? Yes. And for people who think that Marvel's newly announced Red Wolf series sounds racially insensitive, let's just say that it genuinely could be worse. You know, there's this thing. It's it's the opposite of deferred gratification. People, you may remember when uh, Wyatt Wingfoot shows up on the scene. Graham and I talk about the fact that, uh, certainly I do, spend a lot of time talking about how relieved I am that for the most part, except for a couple of unfortunate speech balloons, uh, Wyatt Wingfoot manages to escape all kinds of horrible Indian and Native American cliches. Um, this is this is whatever the opposite of delayed gratification is. This is delayed uh uh, offense <laughs> misery yeah because all of those pigeons come home to roost in the most horrible way possible in this issue where lives the living totem where treads the living totem where lives the treading totem would also make as much sense let's face it so <laughs> where treads the living totem uh, again starts with a wonderful scene between crystal ben and johnny yes uh and they they are they have a great chemistry yeah uh, and it is, to be perfectly honest, a great visual chemistry. Mm-hmm. Kirby's acting when he has the three of them in a scene together is wonderfully comedic and wonderfully goofy. Yeah. Yeah. 
It really uh, is. He, he, it's very interesting to me that Kirby feels a million times more relaxed making Crystal be, um, I don't know, just a little more, um, uh, what's the word? like flighty not flighty but you know she's 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 sort of free living in a way that sue never is in the issues unfortunately yeah sue sue even before she has her kids uh really came across as matronly Mm -hmm. and that's not always the case but definitely at some point that decision was made yeah yeah. I mean, every once in a while, the, the most frivolous that Sue ever got was changing her haircut, you know? No, uh, she had that miniskirt costume for a while as well. Oh, remember? that's true, too. Yeah, really, absolutely. Really yeah. relatively recent. Yeah. But comes across in a really strange way that I think would have felt more natural with Crystal, oddly enough. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I agree. So, um, so here we are. We have Crystal. We've got their opening... I really do enjoy the first couple of pages of this in which a letter arrives from White Wingfoot, which, interestingly enough, seems to have been written to Ben rather than to Johnny. Maybe he just writes to all of them. I don't know. It's kind of great. I'm no, little... I, I think I think he's writing to all of them. But also, I would not be surprised if Ben just opened Johnny's mail. Which is also a great piece of characterization that I would totally believe and would totally be great. Um Page three, I don't know, I don't necessarily know what's going on. I think I like it, but I have to say, I don't know. Oh, I, I, I like it, and yet it's, the Johnny is terrible. But there's yeah. something about the energy about it that I really like. I, well, see, that's it. I almost feel like I am so desperate for the energy, because it, it, it is kind of a shout-out, in a way, to that wonderful reaction from Ben when they find out that Sue is pregnant. Yes, the, the Ben, when he's happy, is exuberantly happy. Yeah, which is wonderful, would be somewhat more wonderful, I think, uh, in... Um, I just realized, is the thing's foot backwards on page three again? Mm, yes. Okay, thank you. I, I'm like, hey! Yes. I, I finally spotted I'd, the backwards foot. To be honest, foot. I would not be surprised if that was an inking accident. Yeah, I think so as well. I think so as well. Because... Who can really tell, again, the Kirby leg thing? That one is definitely... Uh, um... Anyway, let's not get uh, let's not get trifled by anatomy. Um... We should point out that the reason that Ben is so happy is that Reed came back, I love this so much, and said, Sue's going to be in hospital for a week before the baby arrives, so we're all going to take vacation. Yeah. First of all, that's hilarious, if only before... Reed, you are the worst husband in the world. Secondly, it's even more hilarious when you realize that Crystal doesn't go on the vacation so that she can stay with Sue. Yes. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, there is there is some terrible, terribleness in there. Um, but moving on, because there's a lot more terribleness before this issue gets over. Uh, no, but there's some greatness. You see White again, and he's still in the, the gyroscope that he borrowed yes. from yeah. uh, the Black Panther, which I loved. And that series, I would totally read. Yes. White Wingfoot Adventure. Yeah. Like in a, I, I in a gyro like cruiser. Totally great. Yeah. yeah. Sadly, great. that only exists for two pages before we meet the issue's villain, who is, <laughs> I feel like I have to sigh before saying it, Tumazuma, the totem who walks. <laughs> He's on the same page. Tumazuma, the totem who walks, in his own words, or Tumazuma, the death that walks, in Wyatt's words. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Clearly, at this point, Stanley has discovered the 
name the blank that walks. Okay? Because in the annual, which you don't read, Annihilus is introduced, and he's described as Annihilus, the living death who walks. Yeah, yeah. There's Well, it's interesting. It is interesting that it's the death that walks and then the living death that walks. I mean, as we know from all those Marvel monster magazines before they created the Fantastic Four, Stan was very terrified of walking generally, apparently. So there was... Well, you know, things that walk. He was just... He was... Literally decades ahead of The Walking Dead. It's like, okay, guys. It's true. Jesus. <laughs> the Walking Death. Mm, so close. I feel like I'm on something here, but I just, oh, well, I don't have time for this. Uh, uh Moon, nonetheless, is simultaneously a wonderful design and offensive as shit because yeah. he is a walking totem pole. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm I I'm sorry. He's called Tumazuma. He's called Tumazuma, which is the world's laziest mixing around of Montezuma. Uh, and I don't know about that design for me. I have to say, like for me, I, it's it's kind of great, but also kind of terrible. Yeah, it's great in its terribleness. I actually really enjoy looking at it because it is ugly. But again, I'm firmly convinced that Tomazuma is maybe the third or fourth new Kirby character uh, in, in this run of Fantastic Four created with the express purposes of making sure that no one will ever use it again. So um, that's just well, me being cynical. Also, I'm fairly sure that Tumazuma appears again, doesn't he? He probably does. Graham, break it out. I'm sure he appears in Steve Englehart's uh, Fantastic Four run, which you can okay, let's, spoil let's me with. Tumazuma. Are Come you on, really Tumazuma. going to look it up, Tumazuma? Oh, my God. I really am going to look up Tumazuma. Uh, interestingly enough, Tumazuma... Tomazuma? No, it's Tumazuma. Let's see if... He doesn't seem to have a Wikipedia page, which is a good start. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, perhaps I should summarize while Graham checks the internet. Why is, Please do. Uh, it barely escapes... The Death That Walks, uh, which he has gone out to investigate. Uh, and um, fortunately, the FF have taken their pogo plane out to the southwest and arrive in time to get fired on by uh, gun-toting members of Wyatt's tribe, including his grandfather, um, Silent Fox, who doesn't, not firing a gun, but is definitely hanging out. Um, Johnny throws some fireballs at the Native Americans and scares them off, except for Silent Fox, who's standing his ground like a born chieftain. Oh, dear. Uh, Silent Fox yeah. talks... Uh, the entire issue is oh, dear. Uh, yeah. According to the internet, he really might only have appeared this once. Oh, ho, 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 look at me. Like I said, he's not a great oh, character. Oh, oh, oh. I like that. <laughs> you became Santa. The Santa Claus of me. I, I, I did, because you know why? I've been losing. This has been an entire podcast of Jeff being wrong. So the fact that Jeff finally gets to be right after screwing up the Latin, after uh, being completely incorrect about the Klepoths and pronouncing it wrong you're, you're and right everything else. Just slightly wrong. That's all. Yeah. Essentially right. Essentially right in an incorrect way. Yes, I totally, you're, you're, I'm sure I'm being oversensitive about it, Graham. You're, you're being far too kind to me now. Anyway, Tomazuma, not unlike a very hurt and petulant Jeff Lester, tries to vomit flame all over Wyatt Wingfoot. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. The vapors of the living totem. Um, only the fool seeks refuge in flight when there can be no flight. 
no flight from the vapors of the living totem. He says while shooting vapors out of his mouth, which is talented. Uh, Wyatt is about to pass out into the gyrocopter. It looks like it might be curtains for him. It turns out not to be because Tomazuma, after knocking out Wyatt Wingfoot, then goes on to ignore him and proceeds to destroy uh, in an oil company, the oil company that is in the process of trying to steal the oil out from underneath uh, White Wingfoot's tribe. Sort of like Wakanda, uh, Silent Fox has all sorts of awesome tech, which we are told about before we actually see, because his tribe possesses almost limitless wealth because of the vast supply of oil underneath their land. Um, our land really is... It's strange comparing that with Wakanda, isn't it? Like the, mm -hmm. the two times yeah. that they bring in what, especially at the time, were considered primitive cultures. Yes. Um, they make a point of saying, no, they're more advanced. Yeah. They never right. do anything with it. They never grant them any agency as no. characters. No. Well, and I think even more to the point, one of the things that really frustrates me here is uh, going by the plot of the issue... Um, I think there's something really interesting and potentially very radical here in that we are talking about Native Americans trying to find their own self-sufficiency in which oil companies uh, are in the process of trying to steal it out from under them. And one of the things that I find frustrating is Stan very explicitly in the script makes it the Red Star Oil Company. Yes, exactly. Uh, the Red Star, who of course are... The communists. Yes. As someone actually points out, it's if Red Star wasn't the giveaway. Yeah. The Red Star Company, says Reed, but they're controlled from behind the Iron Curtain. No matter. Silent Fox has spoken true. This land is, has, is ours. And in fact, it is kind of important to me because the idea that you have a corrupt oil company trying to steal the land out un, from underneath um, them now. I forget. Is Tom, how does Tomazuma end up being? Um, is he a Tomazuma is a robot who has been built by the Red Star Company? Exactly. Which I'm like, why is he destroying all their oil fields? It really does make no sense. It's kind of like a very weird episode of Scooby Doo. But what's amazing is not once in all of the oil companies do you see a Red Star logo, which would make a lot of sense, and instead you see Tomazuma breaking up, beating up a lot of shit, and the FF working very hard to try and defeat him in a series of fight scenes that, um, in their own dynamic Kirby-esque way, I would call relatively inert. Um, but before we we completely yes. dismiss this issue as, as a loser, I would like to point out that the way that Tomozuma is eventually defeated is amazing. Yeah. Mr. Fantastic doesn't just roll himself into a ball. He shrinks himself into a tennis ball-sized ball. Yes. Which is then loaded into a bazooka. Yeah. And shot into Tomazuma's open mouth. Yes. Death Star-like, so that he can blow up Tomazuma. From the inside. Um, yes. Somehow, amazingly enough... Yeah, I mean... Uh, let's say there's a number of things. I, I like the fact that despite what you say about the, the Indians having no agency, although it is deeply, deeply, deeply embarrassing, it's kind of interesting that Wyatt's uh, tribe uh, come out in jeeps and guns and basically begin driving around the, the uh, Tomazuma and opening fire on him. Of which Reed patronizingly says they're like terriers 
attacking a dinosaur. So again, there's a there's a lot of minimizing going on in the script uh, as opposed to the plot, which I find very frustrating. Although Kirby is definitely um, using some unfortunate racial stereotyping by having the Indians sort of surrounding, uh, you know, much as they always did in the Westerns, um, yes. and opening fire on uh, Tomazuma, the false Tomazuma. Um, mm. You do see them trying to take matters into their own hands. You do see Silver Fox using some tech. Uh, and again, for me, under the original plot, I see them beating back a corrupt oil company of not a, a particular, um, you know, uh, yeah, of not necessarily communist origins. Exactly. Like, that yeah. That this is, this is actually a very interesting, the way it could have been crafted, uh, and was not. Oh, shown. it could have been infinitely more progressive than it actually is. Yeah. I, it very easily with just a few steps, because you definitely do see, uh, the oil men are the bad guys. Tweets. You could arguably get rid of like maybe two lines of dialogue and make yeah. it more progressive. Yeah, there's a few things. I mean, it's a, it's a it's a little the the visual stereotypes are themselves kind of disquieting, but they could have been used to good ends. And like you said, it could have been way more progressive and interesting. And you kind of even get at the end the idea that there is a real Tomazuma off yes. sort Who, of who's waiting. off panel uh, waiting to come on stage if needed. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, and I, I, you know, so that's it. it. I kind of would have dug the up this issue if if they had really let Jack Kirby and Noam Chomsky go to town with it. Instead, it is uh, there's there's a lot of it that's kind of um, kind of terrifying. So, <laughs> yes, I think that's the best way of putting it. Uh, let's actually skip over annual six yay graham thank Jeff you Jeff has not read it yes we'll talk uh, about I've it next time press for time yeah. and it's actually worth talking about there's a bunch of stuff in there that is worth talking about not the least because it's far more enjoyable than any of the rest of the issues <laughs> uh, but also you know also in annihilus i think it actually introduces like the final villain who sticks around from the mm -hmm. league or bff mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and also echoes a lot of things that were done wrong in the Subatomica arc mm -hmm. are done, maybe not entirely right, but definitely better. Well, and so I think it, it, it bears it bears you reading it and the two of us gambling, like going through it that way. Right. Well, and it is. It is one of those things that once I found out that I missed it, I was frustrated because I am fascinated by, uh, and this will be something that we'll have to talk about talk about at, at more length when when i do read it is the idea that that essentially you have subatomica and you have the negative zone and narratively they're the I'm same thing yeah and i'm trying to figure out why they even need to be different or like what purpose that serves if anything or if there was just you know um kirby wasn't necessarily keeping track of of the you know that he, he was... I don't even think it's necessarily Kirby as much as I think that it was the idea of we're continually innovating. Yeah, it's another new place. I right. think that like it is utterly interchangeable with the first one. Yeah, exactly. Like, that that doesn't matter as much as like they're still exploring. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because the FF were for the you know up through what issue sixty mm -hmm. at least still explorers as much as superheroes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And again, 
don't know if you remember, but there was a point back when I was talking about the idea of putting the Silver Surfer in the negative zone. I think it was to help save Reed or something, because it, it looks like him at one point on the cover. And me being like, oh, put the Silver Surfer to explore the universe as a negative zone. How awesome would that be? And you'd be like, oh, that'd be great. I'm fascinated by the fact that they then later on go to to sort of do something like that, but with Subatomica instead, you know, for this these issues that we just read. And then, of course, they just pull them back. I mean, in theory, there's no reason why the Silver Surfer couldn't go back to Subatomica after he gets exiled back to Earth by yeah. Galactus again. Um, well, there is. He has a series that... Right, exactly, exactly. But let's put it this way. They don't even really think to close that particular door after opening it, which... No, and and the, and it's when you when you readdress like when you reapproach the stories that really sticks out yeah because it's like he shouldn't be that sad right right he actually just kind of found like this whole universe in his backyard that he can explore that he is now going to forget about forevermore so so anyway fantastic 481 the last issue that we're to discuss is um for the first time ever, the FF need a replacement, exclamation point. Enter the exquisite elemental, um, which I think is kind of a hoot because it's like, oh, Stan. So this is an issue in which uh, the exquisite elemental is not the threat, but is rather, of course, Crystal, who is um, finally brought yeah. into the team. Yes. Finally, because you've been teasing it for... I mean, a while, like yeah. 10 issues maybe by this point. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of that thing. She's around, um, and finally you get to see her in an FF costume that she has made, and she has basically decided that she's going to join the team. Um... <laughs> this is this notably happens after Sue has had the baby. Sue yes. has the baby in FF Annual, uh, annual 6. Right. Uh, and even though it is not stated in that issue, spoilers, Jeff, that she is not coming back to the team yeah. by the opening of pay, of issue eighty one, mm-hmm. it has been decided that Sue is not coming back to the team, and so yeah. the Crystal is essentially auditioning for the the role of the the fourth member of the Fantastic Four. Yeah, and what is hilarious is how dismissive Johnny is about it. Yes. Yeah, it really does start off with this amazing, like, she's like, here I am on the team, and him saying, basically, on page two, but it's not that easy, honey. You can't just decide you'll become an FF member. Besides, think of the danger, Chris. Now, this is, uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's one of those things that is really kind of fascinating. Again, um, I really do like the first couple of pages focusing as it does on Ben, who, who amazingly enough, after seeing uh, Crystal in her suit, more or less goes on to just, you know, ignore the damn thing uh, until Crystal decides to, after kissing Johnny Storm, show, prove herself by blasting all the furniture in the room um, and firing off an energy bolt that sadly fails to kill uh, Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic on page three. <laughs> But also, I love that she fires. I'll prove I can control her powers as well as any of you. Yeah. And she does that by shooting an, a bolt of elemental energy at the door. Yes. Which I'm like, What's what, what does that actually what, mean? What were you trying to do? What could that have I, done? From, it does give Reed a chance to say that she is just no good. 
yeah. uh, using her powers and is far too dangerous and she's a, a silly girl and what is she doing? Yeah, surprise, Reed Richards, Mr. You're Doing It Wrong has come to the conclusion that Crystal is doing it wrong. So, um, and then sadly... Exactly. I think that's entirely right. The deep side <laughs> is entirely the way to do this. Well, because we bring back the wizard and... He comes up with even bigger wonder gloves, which we <laughs> see. But this time, his costume has reverse colors. Did you yes. notice that? Last no, time, I... it was purple helmets, purple sleeves and pants. Yeah. Uh, with a blue body stocking and blue gloves. And this time, it's purple gloves, blue helmets, blue sleeves. Yeah, and, uh, it's just... And, uh, it? it's... So everything's different. Yeah. Well, and when I say everything's different, I mean, remember that story with uh, the wizard and his gloves? It's that story again, except this time Crystal's in it. It's the all-new, all-different Marvel version of the wizard, let us say. Because... Um... He's back. He's just as boring, but the color scheme is he's, reversed. He's not just as boring. He's back, and he's doing exactly the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, I have to say, in the past, uh, we had a recent, um, wait, what episode? The Q&A episode where uh, Martin Gray asked us, who was the worst substitute member of the Fantastic Four? And I chose Crystal. Um, I had not read this issue I'll be curious to see if Crystal is ever as interesting a character as she sort of is again, because with the dramatic gauntlet of Reed Richards saying, you're doing it wrong, you're no good, we actually get to see Crystal be hyper-competent and interesting for the majority of this issue where they're fighting the not especially competent and deeply uninteresting wizard. It is very much the story of... You have planned for everything, but this is a wild card you couldn't even see coming. Yeah. You know, we have a whole member that you've never even heard of. Mm-hmm. The plus side of that is it does leave Crystal to save the day. It does place Crystal in the position of being the hyper-competent one who yeah. saves everyone else. I might be misremembering, but I'm fairly sure that she doesn't really get that chance again because I'm sure that the traditional... Mr. Fantastic is behind every victory of the Fantastic Four rule will reassert itself almost immediately. Well, one of the things that I think is interesting about this issue, although I do think that it is a boring dud, for once Kirby and Lee, for the first time in a a while, I feel that their storytelling goals are 100% aligned. Like you can see from those panels of Reed with the with him looking grim and the the sort of gray coloring, he's not pleased with Crystal. And this issue is about Crystal proving herself. This is a much more character driven sort of story hook um, than Kirby traditionally provides. You know, a lot of his stuff is like people reacting to big threats in various ways, and Lee trying to to fix the dialogue to make it seem like they're acting as heroically and dramatically as possible. And well, Kirby likes to Kirby's threats are external. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is the rare occasion where the external threat is actually uh, a motivator for the protagonist to overcome the internal doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Because Kirby normally doesn't work on that level. Mm -hmm. And that's, not a criticism it's just not what he does no exactly and so went to see him do it here 
I think gives Lee a lot more to take hold of. Yeah, exactly. Lee has there's there's a character driven story hook that for once Lee isn't trying to sort of manufacture half assed and out of whole cloth at the last minute. It's actually kind of pretty much all on the page in a way that, um, if nothing else, it it makes for a completely sort of satisfying, quick. It it's even though it's a single issue of the wizard, even though it just feels like the wizard issue from from two issues before, or the last three issues of the Fantastic Four jammed together in terms of they're fighting outside instead of inside for a change. Um, it doesn't feel like a fill-in issue. It actually sort of feels like because there's something happening to the team, and it doesn't feel manufactured. I I have to say I I was kind of down with this issue. Yeah, it's kind of a great issue, uh, and and the highlight of the the run that we've just gone through. I think I think so too, which is amazing considering everything else. Like considering it, it's a wizard issue, it's and a, we're talking yeah. about issues that had yeah. Psycho Man. That mm-hmm. had Galactus, that had Silver Surfer, that had the Microverse yeah. for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, all these things that could have been and should have been better. Yeah. And and in bit and bits and pieces of which were amazing, but just did not cohere into a unified whole. And what's great is this issue does feel like a unified whole, even though it's, you know, really fighting an incredibly boring villain, you know. That they almost all but accidentally drown and barely manages to escape, uh, and really just never really gives much of a uh, any sort of suggestion that he's a genuine threat. So, well, but still, that, that's what we love about <laughs> 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 <Find> the wizard. <laughs> he's the greatest, Who doesn't isn't he? Oh my God! Let me tell you, he's the next Doctor Doom in the making. Um, Talking so about great. Doctor Doom. Doctor Doom yes. will return in our next batch of issues. Oh, really? Fascinating. Yeah. Uh, we are going to be reading for the next episode of Baxter Building People. We're going to be reading issues 82 through 87 and Annual 6. 82 through 87 and Annual 6. Glorious. That's, here's Jeff writing it down. That is that is me writing it down because <laughs> it's bad enough. I literally had to go back to your show notes and check when I started saying, I'm like, what the fuck are we reading again? And and even almost double checked. And of course, thanks to the miracle of life, we missed annual six or I did. So, uh, Graham, I feel we should perhaps wrap this up in semi speedy fashion before uh, before Skype makes a makes a monkey out of us. Skype has probably been making a monkey out of us the entire time, as all the <laughs> listeners know. Uh, thank you very much, as always, for everyone to uh, for listening to this as we meander through the Fantastic Four. Thank you very much for people who are reading along, because I know that these were not the most fun set of issues to read. Uh, like I said, we're going to be doing issues 82 through 87 and uh, Annual 6 next time. At least Annual 6 is going to be better than everything you've just read, I promise. Yes, I'm really or, glad to hear oh, that. Who are wondering where you're going to find us on the internet? Uh, WaitWhatPodcast.com is our home base. You will find not only show notes for this episode and all the other Baxter Building and Wait What episodes. You'll also find written posts by myself, by Mr. Jeffrey Lester, and by Mr. Matt Terrell. Yes. Who really puts us to shame when it comes to really great uh, reviews that yeah. he's put on the site. Uh, if you are all a Tumblr fan, 
waitwhatpods.tumblr.com is where you can find us. If you are on Twitter, at waitwhatpodcast is where you can find the show, although that is mostly auto-posts of uh, things that are on the Tumblr and occasional conversations back to people who talk yes. uh, that. We are individually on Twitter. Jeff yeah. is at Lazy Bastard, L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. I am at Graham M, at G-R-A-E-M. I'll try it again. At G-R-A-E-M-E-M. <laughs> That's what happens when you talk too quickly, my friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are on iTunes. We are on Stitcher for those who use those particular platforms to listen or are using a platform we would like to find it somewhere else. You can also find audio of the show at waitwhatpodcast.com. We are also a Patreon-supported podcast. Thank you very much for the people who are doing that. You are astonishingly kind. Um, yes. Baxter Building, in particular, it would not exist without the Patreon supporters. It is one of the uh, reward levels that we reached surprisingly quickly, and we genuinely appreciate the yeah. continued support of you guys. Jeff, so true. Yes. Last time mm-hmm. we did this, you came up with a way of signing us off. You came up with a catchphrase, and I want you to do it again. All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time in the lobby of the Baxter Building.